This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Don't call Jay Cohen a bugler. He's far more than that. A comedian, a musician, a magician, a track ambassador at Santa Anita, and a massive dog lover. We discuss his love of music, playing the horn, and somehow finding his way at the track. I go down and play for 15 seconds, and then I'm gone. 30 minutes later, I come back and play for 15 seconds. And you keep doing that. So it's like I have to go down and run the 50-yard dash. So what I want to be able to do is run the 100-yard dash without even thinking about it. And I hate to keep bringing this up, but you get older and it's not as easy. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from cancer survivors, Oscar winners, Hall of Fame basketball players, and professional photographer, David Bergman. Like, everybody's got their own story. I'm looking at people going, okay, that couple's on a first date. That's a guy reconnecting with his daughter. That's a, you know, mother and son or whatever it is, you know? And it's just, everybody's got a story, but we're all here together in this environment. And I get to go wherever I want to and document this and make and make pictures that people like, you know? People, because I want people to see the pictures and remember this moment, you know, I want them tomorrow to look at the pictures and remember this moment. And I want the people who weren't here to wish that they were. The rest of my conversation with David can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Jay Cohen. Maine Farmhouse Brands was started by Dan McCool, a healthcare professional. His goal was to make premium soap. Most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent. Soap is made from natural ingredients like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals, even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine Farmhouse Brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine Farmhouse Brand Soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shaved soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at mainfarmhousebrands.com. I have got a guest who I have been wanting so bad on this podcast. It, it literally, you are, I said earlier before we hit record, you were a part of my childhood, Jay. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm just great. This is an absolute Christmas Santa moment to have you on. Well, thank you. I'll have some ice cream in the back you can have afterwards. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that you wore the Santa outfit for the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I almost did, actually. <laughs> I, the, you're, you're one of those guests where, and, and I've had lots of people on, that y you have touched so many lives in what you do. It's it's really special. Do you like do you take that in and understand like you know your presence when you're when you're at the track? There've been a few moments in my career that I've gone back to my room and sat and cried. Really? Mhm. Mm there was a gal used to come out to the track. She was in a wheelchair with her husband. Her name was Jeannie. And every time I saw her I'd play I dream of Jeannie and she'd smile. Then they would go up to the front runner, and I'd go visit their table. 
And I never asked any questions, and I just had fun with them. And one day, I don't see them anymore. So six months later, here comes the husband. And I'm like, wow, how you doing? Where's Jeannie? And his face went really long. And he said, well, Jeannie died. She had cancer. You never asked, and that's absolutely fine. But before she died, she asked me to come to the racetrack and thank you for playing all those songs to her. And I looked at him, I cried, I hugged him, and I went down to my room and I thought, what am I doing here? Wow. It's like, this is too much responsibility for me. I had another gal come up to me. She said, we came here on uh, New Year's Day. And I don't know how you picked us out of the crowd, but you came over and played to my mom and entertained us a little bit. Well, I want you to know that was the last good day that I had with my mother. She was sick, and after that, she went downhill and passed away. But you made her day. And that's another time I went to my room and thought, what am I doing? This is too much for me. But let's start on the happy stories. Well, there have been a couple good ones, too. But I mean... <laughs> I mean, from a kid from New Jersey, like, what's your, what was your starting point, like, for music? Or, or just were you a happy-go-lucky kid and just ran around and did your thing in Jersey? We had an electrician working in my father's store. What, was, was your, what did your father do? We had frozen food and meat. Okay. So I grew up with meat and frozen foods. It was you know, that's, great. That's start of a Soprano episode. You know that, right? Like yes. My father's in the meat business. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> We had broken leg of lamb. Yeah. <laughs> and then my mom was in the contracting cement business too. Right? Like just... <laughs> well, they had a family shop that did very well for them. Good. And this electrician was making the sound out of the side of his mouth that sounded like a trumpet. I guess some people have the ability to make sounds like that. And it was the same time that they were recruiting for the band. And the band director uh, played the trumpet. That was his instrument. How old are you? 10. Okay. And I thought, that is the greatest sound in the world. I have got to play the trumpet. So after a couple of days of begging, they said, okay. Was there any music in the house? Did mom and dad play no, a lot of music? Nothing. So, no, so this electrician, with a little toot out of the side of his lips, is the spark. Yes. Wow. That's not, it's supposed to be like your mom played, you know, beautiful French music and would dance around the living room and not the electrician coming over to dad's shop and being the spark. There is one good thing. My parents bought every comedy album ever. Really? <laughs> and I used to listen to them. Everywhere, the Bill Cosby albums. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry about but no, that. But no, he, but he who was, Bill was, his storytelling. Fantastic. He, I had every one of them. He's at the top. Absolutely at the top. Was it Mom's Mabley? There was probably a Shecky Green album in there somewhere. Right. And Dick Gregory, who went on to be more of an activist, but he was a funny comedian. And I used to listen to those albums, not understanding most of it, but just in, yeah, what did we know? Yeah, what did we know? Yeah. So, so but, you, you joined the band and... Well, I, after a month... The band director called my parents and told me he's not going to be able to do this. He should quit. <laughs> Within a month? Yeah, it might have been two months. <laughs> and so I went to school the next day like, what am I doing wrong? I'm sorry. What am I doing? He says, well, do you practice? And I said, well, not really. 
says, if you want to play this thing, you got to practice. And from that moment on, I would wake up in the morning, play the trumpet. I'd go to school, try to see if I could play it there, besides regular band and lessons. Come home from school and practice, have dinner, play hockey with my brother. We had a tabletop hockey game. <laughs> we had to do that. And then I'd practice some more. And within a month, I was in the band. Boom. That's it. Practice. And I've been doing it every day of my life where I'm upright for the past 67 years. 57. 57. 57. Let's get that right. <laughs> what Was there ever a time you wanted to get away from the trumpet and maybe another brass instrument? Well, this is what happened. I started on the trumpet, and then the next, in the summer, I said, what's that little instrument called a recorder? So I got one of those, learned how to play that. The next summer, I took clarinet lessons. Okay. Then the band needed a baritone player, so I would play that. Then by the time I got to high school, there was an orchestra, so I got a cello and learned how to play the cello. The cello? <clears throat> I had it until years ago. It was great. It was a fun little instrument to have. But I just, yeah, I kept taking to instruments, but the trumpet was what I really played. Um, I ended up playing trombone in the junior high orchestra, band, right. junior high band, cello in the orchestra, trumpet in the band. Wow. I mean, thank God you didn't take the French horn because that would really be an odd way to call to the posts. Yes, I'd have <laughs> to stand with my back to the track, to the, to the fans. Yeah. It'd be very, un that's a weird, but <laughs> I thought one day I should go out and play the call to the post for every race on a different instrument. <laughs> you absolutely should. That would be great. And when I got to college, I was... I could see yeah. you with a little flute, little teeny. I was a flute minor in college. After we had flute class, I said, this is the most beautiful instrument. And I had to beg the flute teacher for lessons. And he said, okay, I'll get... I mean, I just kept harping on him until finally he gave in. And I ended up taking two and a half years of flute lessons, too. Is it an easy transition between those brass instruments? To, is it or is it not? I'm, I've never played. Like, my idea of touching a brass instrument was walking through a musical shop and, like, touching it with my hand. That's about as close to playing as I've ever done. It's a slightly different approach, but it didn't mess anything up. Okay. And it was fantastic. And then I played, when I got out of college, I played in a band. Okay. A horrid wedding band. It was hilarious, really. What was the name of the band? Larry Kay and the Personics. <laughs> <laughs> My brother-in-law played in it. So I actually, in the band, played the piano, played trumpet, played flute, and would try to sing. Now, singing definitely is not my thing. Yeah, but if you get the wedding, you know, two or three hours in, everybody's pretty hammered by then. You're singing, nobody's paying attention to at that point. Right. Yeah. You could have sounded like, you know. But Larry Kay had to take the show. <laughs> so where's Larry today? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> He's still doing weddings? I have not Bar a mitzvahs. clue. <laughs> uh, what would you guys do, covers? What were you guys playing? Oh, uh, we're talking about weddings in not the fancy places. Right, yeah. If you're at the Elks Lodge. Elks Lodge weddings. Yes. Yeah. All right. But it was fun. <laughs> Yes, that's what you learn, right? And from there, though, I got into a very good community orchestra. Oh. And that is what I really love the most, was playing in orchestras. So what was your, 
what was your plan through college and after college? Did you have an idea of like, I want to play in an orchestra? Yes, that was my goal. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do. The players in our major orchestras are extremely talented. And very few get that job. I had one audition and I came in second. Who did you audition for? Hong Kong Symphony. Really? And I would have packed up immediately and moved. I came in second. And they needed one spot on a chair? Yes. It would have been a tremendously different way of going about life. But during the um, summers in college, I played with players from the Curtis Institute of Music, which is one of the finest in the country, in Philadelphia. And we played on the corner of 13th and Chestnut for tips. And we'd make about $25 a day, which back in the 70s was decent. Sure. Two blocks from us performing were Penn and Teller. No way. Street performers, Penn and Teller, wow. were just a couple blocks from us. What That's what they to were those doing. Guys? Uh, they did okay. <laughs> they did okay. They went to another block. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're now on 14th and Chestnut. But that's where they started what year did you have that uh, audition for the, the the chair well how old were you were you a kid still no i was a senior uh, probably just out of college okay i mean you're still a kid you're under 25 so your life really changed would have ch- really changed yes especially in a foreign country oh wow i didn't care i was right right there for the job so instead I said, well, I'm going to have to teach and just play on the side, which I did. And teaching was a full-time job, except you had the summers off. And But I played in a brass quintet, mostly in churches, did a lot of church work. Okay. And I used to go in there, and I knew all the services, and people were like, aren't you Jewish? <laughs> I said, yeah, but I go to church a lot because <laughs> they pay me, okay? Yeah, Stop right. that. So it was the brass quintet. The Lord's check doesn't bounce. <laughs> Cash, please. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, we took from the plate going past. Yeah. It was interesting. Every week they kept serving this plate by with cash. Great. I loved it. And then I played in the orchestra, which was fantastic. Did a lot of wedding services. Okay. Um, playing trumpet as the bride mm-hmm. and groom walked down the aisle. That's fun. Did a lot of jobs that way and taught. But back then, five hours sleep was all you ever needed. Right. Were you still practicing? Were you still... Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Because it's a craft. You've got to stay on your toes. You can't let up on practicing. So what was your then, you know, in your 20s, what was your practice routine? Oh, it was just practice as much as you could. Make sure you covered all the bases. That's what's important. But there'd be nights I'd be sitting there in front of the TV just doing long tones. Really? Just to keep the lip in shape. See, it's interesting. Like, if you're, a, if you're Jay the marathon runner, you put your miles in. People don't think that you, or at least non-musicians, think that you need to keep your lip in shape. They're like, it's your lip. Where does it go? But it's a muscle, right? That whole, right. The whole face. It's all it's it is. It's a muscle. That's it. People say... Oh, you got the easiest job in the world. And I'll say, well, you can do the next race. Well, I don't play trumpet. I said, that's the tough part. And yeah. if they don't, well, why? You do the same thing every day. And I try to explain it. 
But I just say, Google how hard is it to play the trumpet? And it'll come up. You'll be able to read about it. Right. It's just something you have to constantly do. Who were you, I guess, your influences when you were younger? Who did you look at and say, like, oh, these guys are who I am aspire to be, or I just want to politely steal a little bit of their style? Around seventh and eighth grade, it was Herb Alpert. Oh, yes. And <laughs> we had a Herb Alpert band, and we'd set up in my friend's garage, put lawn chairs down the driveway, and then we'd open the door playing Herb Alpert tunes. Oh, <laughs> let's put on a little rise right Just now. Great. Yes. Oh, now that's, yeah. Yeah. That song didn't come till later, but <laughs> it was, he was, he's huge. Right. So he was your, he was your, your Michael Jordan, your, your guy that I, you wanted to play with or at that level. Until ninth grade, when I discovered a guy named Doc Severinsen. Really? And... To this day, he's still my hero. If we want to go in the other room, we can call him. Yeah. I became fairly friendly with him. Um, we went to see The Tonight Show, and there he is, 15 feet in front of me, the guy who I bought every single album and listened and listened till it was worn through to the other side. There he is in front of me, and I said, if I don't go talk to him, It'll be the most foolish thing I ever did in my life. I went up on the stage and I said, excuse me, Doc, I have to tell you, you've been an inspiration almost my entire life. And he says, well, do you still play the trumpet? I said, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. I play at Santa Anita Park. And the trumpet player sitting on the end turned to Doc and said, hey, he's really good. And Doc looks at me and says, well, cool. What kind of valve oil are you using? And we sat, it wasn't a conversation because I couldn't talk. My mouth is completely dry. I'm just like, Doc Severinsen asked me. And then we talked about valve oil. What was, because that's all he thinks about is trumpet. It's all he's ever thought about. He is almost not human to what he can do with the trumpet. Last year, he played his last concert, 95 years old, in Saratoga, so I went back to see it. I wasn't going to miss it. I've seen all of his concerts out here. He's called me a few times, and I'm not dropping names. Right, no, but that, that's... Yeah, that's fantastic. And he just is... It's not human what he's been able to do, except he practices. Do, do you think his career kind of got... I don't want to say short change or lost because he was on the Tonight Show. And so people thought of him as a Tonight Show band guy and not somebody who was a world-class performing artist. He never stopped performing outside the Tonight Show. And it didn't matter if he went to play with a high school in Texas. He would go back there and have a beautiful solo and he'd go back and play with a high school band. He was out playing with orchestras. No, it just he's one of the things that glue me to YouTube. Right, yeah. He's he's one of those artists that his career was given great exposure because being on the Tonight Show. But you kind of looked at him sometimes like when Ed wasn't there, he would sit in on the chair with Johnny. Sometimes he even hosted the show a couple of times during a pinch. I don't know, Johnny wrecked his car in Mulholland Drive. I don't know what happened, but he would be doing the show. And it was always 
fresh to see him in front of the camera in that position instead of off camera, you know, doing zingers with, with him, with Johnny. He was a very good, talented showman. Yes, he was. He had the ability to just make everything come alive. Yeah. That, yeah, wore great outfits. Yes. <laughs> Those outfits were fantastic. Yeah, when I went to see him once, I brought him an article from a magazine from like 1968 or something. And I was like, here, and it showed him getting an outfit from a designer. He's like, why do you have that? And I said, well, uh, okay. I'm not a stalker, just a fan. That's okay. Who was the other gentleman? Tommy. Tommy Newsom. Yes. He was a great saxophone player, but also a fantastic arranger. Really? Yeah, he did a lot of the arrangements. He was always dry. Uh, he was the okay. dry version of it, and you know Johnny would make fun of him, and he would play like the straight man and being like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm... Hilarious. Yeah, those, oh, those were good times when you had that exposure for musicians that probably wouldn't have gotten it any other way. It was a great exposure for them. And then, I think it taped from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Yeah, they banged it out early. And then the guys would go off and play jobs. or Right, yeah, they had the night. Yes. Because I know at some point, like there would be nights where Johnny would leave straight out and go to Vegas and do shows that night, that Friday night and the weekend. And I think, you know, they would all do that too. Somebody, somebody would have shows somewhere in Vegas and they'd all leave. They're just super, super talented musicians. Wow. So you're getting into your 20s. You're teaching. What Are you thinking I'm gonna, teaching is going to be something forever? Or are you still thinking, you know, there's a chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to do that. Now, it was teaching. I was going to just keep Did up you... what we were doing. I was teaching at a high school with four bands. I had the high school and the junior high. Whoa. So we had the marching band, concert band, junior high band, and jazz band. Did teaching come easy for you? No. Okay. No, I just demanded musicianship. And don't talk during the rehearsals. I took a high school that was always horribly rated. They never had a good marching band program. And I thought, this is the most exposure, but I couldn't teach the marching. I was horrible with that. So I brought somebody in to teach it, to write the shows, and had to bring somebody else to teach the percussion. <laughs> it was just beyond me. And plus, it took so much time, I didn't want to do it. And, but I made them play musically. And the last year I was there, they got the award for the best musicianship on one of the competitions. And to me, that was just, that's all. I, I felt so great about that. But I was in the middle of just keeping up this unbelievably hectic schedule. And I had 12 private students. I was out playing several nights a week. And it was marching band season. And after the rehearsal, I used to rehearse on Tuesday and Thursday nights so it wouldn't interfere with kids being in sports I could have the football field. It was great. And I had a band parent meeting after the um, rehearsal. It has been a long day. And a parent started to yell at me because her son, who I think he was class valedictorian, great kid, and he's probably somewhere a fantastic musician. I'd love to see Wade Darlington, if you're listening to this, <laughs> please 
and thank your mom because she yelled at me that he didn't get a hot dog at the football game because my rules were very strict about them being back in the stands by the end of the third quarter. And it was kind of cool because I had an out-of-body experience. I was standing besides myself as this lady was yelling at me, and I was thinking, what am I doing this job for? What am I doing with my life that I'm going to have to put up with this? So what had happened is, uh, probably four summers before that, I was married, and we quit our jobs. And we had a customized van and left the checkbook with my mom and said, we'll be back in a while. And so I had one thing planned on this trip, and that was to stop at the Selmer Trumpet Factory. (laughs) That was the only thing planned. And on the second day, we drove about 12 hours. And the next day, we're in Elkhart, Indiana. And I had, it was set up for me to have a tour of the factory where they made trumpets. And I just was like, so cool. That's great. And then we moved on across the country. We stopped at all the parks. Um, Jeez. Just fantastic places. Um, Most people, yeah, yeah, when you're drilling across country, they go like, oh, we're going to go to Yosemite and Grand Canyon and the Tetons. Nobody says we're going to the trumpet manufacturer. Now, right after that, we headed right for Mount Rushmore. Ah, yes, right. So that was the next. Okay. So it wasn't. And then we went up to Mount St. Helens. We drove down the coast. And then we stopped in this little town of Anaheim, California, where my brother-in-law was living, doing his residency. So we stayed with them and we went out and explored California. Just the Los Angeles, right, I should yeah. say. Um, we already had stopped through Yosemite and Sequoia, and we did all that stuff. Whoa. San Francisco. And we're thinking, this is really nice out here. Why do we put up with those horrible freezing cold winters? What are we living there for? What year is this? Early 80s? Oh, I have to think really hard now. This is probably, yes, it has to be early 80s. Now that I think, okay. yes. I had to remember the van. <laughs> yeah, yeah I so I mean, what a different time from Jersey to coming to Anaheim in 1980, let's say. Huh. Night and day. Yeah. So what happened is we continued the trip and we went to Vegas and then stopped at a few places and then drove straight back because it was time to go back to work. Sure. And we'd always say, God, we should move to California. We should move to California. Well, there I was after that band parent meeting, I had to go home and type up why we needed a new tuba because we needed to buy a new tuba for the band. And I'm just sitting there, and I don't use foul language, but I was. Uh, my temporary Tourette syndrome or whatever it was, and I'm screaming, like, why do we do this? And she said, do you want to move to California? I said, great idea. And I reached around to the back of the computer. That's where the on-off switch was in those days pulled out the floppy disks, (laughs) and I said, yes, let's move to California. Boom, just like that. Yep, but I finished out the school year, which was so easy. I didn't care anymore, Right. which is terrible, but I put on a great show. It was all patriotic stuff, and we unfurled a gigantic flag on the 
track that a car dealership gave to me. It was really cool stuff. That's great. Oh, yeah. I still have the letter from the principal saying it's the best show I have ever seen at this high school. Because I like the showmanship thing. Sure. And then we did a concert, all patriotic music. I had a local congressman come in and narrate a piece that went with the band. And Wow. And then, in the meantime, she got a job with NBC, my wife, at the time. Right, yeah. And they moved us out here. So this would have been summer of 87. Okay. They moved us here. It was great. And... So I came here, they gave us a place to live, and I got out here and I said, listen, let me try to be a trumpet player. She had a pretty darn good job. And I said, let me just try to play trumpet. Now, what do you get? Are you giving yourself six months, 12 months? Like, what's your... I didn't really have a time frame okay. at this point. But you're just going to, I'm going to go give it a shot. Yes. Then the North Northridge earthquake hit, I believe yes. it was. Uh-huh. And I said, let's go back to New Jersey. <laughs> It was horrible, just horrible. And we that were, was your first earthquake. That was the only thing we were afraid of were earthquakes, but uh, it didn't matter. Right. So but when it's your first, it's terrifying. Yes, it was. Yeah, people can warn you all about it, but then when now you're an old veteran to it, you're like, ah, yeah. earthquake, schmirthquake. Not a big oh, wow. If anything moves in the bedroom, I was like, <laughs> yes, thanks, honey. I, oh, that was an earthquake. Darn. <laughs> but. So I called everybody that knew anybody. But, I, oh, I have to do say one thing. When we came out here for the interview, I had another cousin that was living here, and he sang in a choir, in a church choir, another Jewish person <laughs> singing in church. And I actually played in church at a track right across from the street from Santa Anita. That was my first job, actually, in California. I was here on the vacation right. interview thing, but I had a job. I got a job playing out here. It was pretty weird. Wow. Wow, that was, that, I had to think back. That was neat. Yeah. And then we moved here in August. Okay. So I started looking around. What do I do? So I saw there was a Burbank Symphony. So I called that and I said, you know, I just moved here. Is there any chance I can play? Sure. So like a week later, I'm out there and I did a couple concerts with them. And then I did what you really need to do is find a teacher. So I started studying with a great L.A. trumpet player, Bill Bing, who got a phone call during one of my lessons and said, I can't do this job, but I have an adult student here who's just fine. So I went out. It was a church job. And on that, a gentleman named Keith Snell said, oh, you're new in town where there's an opening at Santa Anita Park. So... What does a trumpet player do? He says, oh, let me explain it to you. So he took me under his wing, explained everything to do to get the job. There was an audition. I went out and I got the audition. I won. And they refused to admit this. And I know it's the truth. I got the job because I fit into the uniform. I don't care what they say. I was the size of the guy who was taking the time off and i've asked the person that's hired me many times and he just looks and he won't he he won't admit it i know that's how i got the job but we can talk later about if how you i were kept five, it four and 230 pounds that's it the job's not yours i would probably be teaching 
or still at the Burbank Orchestra playing. Well, there. that's that was that was tremendous though. I love playing at orchestras. Thank God you were tall and fit and not short and stout. It's the only way. They refuse to admit it, but I... Have you ever been I to a horse that, track before then? Nope. So going in the Santa Anita Park was the first time I ever set foot in a... In a track. A horse racing track, yes. Wow. So, yeah, that's... Okay, there's so many questions. Like, it's unbelievable to think, like, that's your first time is your audition. To say, like, if you're a musician, you've never been to a concert before, and your first time you're auditioning at, you know, Carnegie Hall... It's like, I've never been here before. What is it like? I'm going to just play trumpet. But we're talking about the greatest racetrack in the country. Right. Too. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You're, you're going to the grand finale and you're just, I'm winging it and just playing what I'm playing. Did you even like have anything to practice? Did you know what to play? The gentleman who had the job years before, Keith Snell, who told me about the opening, mm -hmm. He told me what to do. He said, here's what you need to be able to play. So I was able to demonstrate the, yeah, the two songs you needed to know. Right. And I played it fairly well. And I think the other person was, there were about four of us. And the one guy, he was just, I don't know, he was, was not normal enough to keep the job too long. Because you put a bit of a showmanship on your show now. Now. Like the way you call things, the way you do stuff, which I love. When I started out, all I had was the straight horn. Okay. Okay. You had five notes. And I looked and used to play things on five notes that the crowd never heard before. Just really? the fanfares. Yes. So when and you say the straight horn, the coach horn, right? Is that the... That's right. The coach horn. Okay, because I, I, that's the best, like I said, best part of my research. I'm learning all these horns. I, I don't play one, but I'm like, oh, that's the coach horn, the long one. Made in Anaheim, right? Yes. There you go. The company's out of business now, which oh, is geez. really sad because... Oh, no. Well, the father was the big... So you got to treat your thing. horn with like, like gold. You can't go swinging that around in a fight in the bar. No. <laughs> no, I just... Um... <laughs> Oh, there's so many trumpets here, though. I'm sure. I'm sure you've got more than one just sitting around. But. So was what you played today what you played then? No. Okay. So okay. what did you play then in 87? I was playing strictly the straight horn. Okay. But I could get a lot of fanfares out of it. How, how did you know how to do that? Or is that just your skill? Just from looking up things about okay. playing. There is one or two books with different... English coach calls. And then I started making things up. Oh. Um, I'd throw in an army call every Thursday. It was payday. So yeah. I'd play the army payday call. <laughs> and, but I tried to get, I was getting very intricate things that I probably can't play today. And then in. Were you going all Miles Davis and just doing your own riffs for 45 seconds? Not with five notes. <laughs> I had some of the things were going that long, but with five notes, you have to get really creative. Wow. That's so intriguing. For, you know, someone, I, zero, I could play harmonica like I'm being beaten with it, but that's about it. Like, it's just so, like, to hear you have only five of your choices and yet you can make stuff out of it is unbelievable. Yeah, there's a lot of rhythms. Yeah. A lot of ways to put those notes together. Now, when I do the carriage ride, 
in the morning mm-hmm. before the races. Right. Okay, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. On my way to walking to the carriage, I think of a rhythm. And I start singing a rhythm in my head. And when I get on the carriage, I'll start to play that rhythm. Just I make something up in the very beginning. And then the last calls are ones I've played in the past. So tell me about your first day at San Anita. What is that like? Oh, I had no clue what I was doing. I was scared to death. Oh, well, tell me this. So you go home, you tell your wife, what, what's, what's that like? Honey, I'm, a, I'm playing trumpet at San Anita. Like, was that like, you got to share it with somebody. Who are you calling? Um, you call mom and dad. Are they still alive? Or your oh, yeah. brother? Or like, oh, no, no, no. My parents were like, you're going to do what? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Can you make a living? Well, right. It's, it's okay. Are you riding the horse and playing deer? Like, yeah. I'm sure you're... <laughs> We've I, done that before, but. Yeah. So, so they were kind of, they didn't think you were a little bit off? Always no, in California. I've always been kind of different. <laughs> but you're in California now, so, you, you know, they had to think maybe you drink too much water in California. And, could have been. You know. Could have been the pollution in the air has affected right. my brain. We were still foggy or smoggy back then. <laughs> but even as a kid, I performed a lot. Okay. I mean, I remember going out to the old people playing trumpet down in Miami Beach. My grandparents used to take me down there in the summer. But so did the trumpet went along. And you'd entertain. Oh, uh, I'd get out there and play songs from Fiddler on the Roof. Oh. All the old Jews sitting there. Yeah. Just waiting to hear my tunes. It was hilarious. Yeah. I could only hear I, uh, <laughs> if I was a rich man on, on trumpet. I played that coming out of the elevator into the place where they're all down there playing bingo. They all thought it was hilarious. Oh, Jay. What is this little kid doing? And all the old people, they'd go there in the summer because it was cheap. Sure. Because in the winter, the rates were too high. Stayed at the Richmond Hotel. I can still just picture it all. It was fun. Oh. Just made friends down there. and But it's been very interesting. <laughs> so tell me. Tell me okay. opening day. First, first day on the job. What are you, what, what, what's going through your head? You're pulling in your little car. What are you thinking? What the heck do I do here? <laughs> I hope I remember what he told me. So I actually had the music for the paddock call. Okay. Back then there was a paddock call. So when the horses came out of the barn, you played da 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 dee tom bum ba da. So that's what was played. And where did you play that then? Where in the paddock. In the paddock itself. Yes. Okay. I'm sure yeah. the horses left that. <laughs> no, there was never a problem with that. Um, so then, so you play that. Yeah, and I was playing for the pony people were coming out. Mm-hmm. And I was, played that for them. Okay. <laughs> Played for the wrong horses. I got the hang out of it. The hang of it. Right. And then... After a couple of days. And then you're... I, when you go out to the track, that's where most people now see you. Yes. What was that experience like looking up at the grandstands? That's when there were 50,000 people. Right. I don't know. I flipped the microphone on and walked out on the track. And then when I saw the horses coming up the track, I picked up the trumpet and played. That was my job. Yeah, but you played, that's your first time playing in front of such a crowd. That Your blood must have been, you know, just going I'm sure crazy. My, yeah, yeah, your heart rate must have been like you were running up a hill. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking. Still to this day it is, but... Sure. But those days, 50,000 opening day or whatever it was, I mean, oh, that must have been so exciting. I hate to say this. I hate to sound like I'm 
really this old, but it was pretty much different before simulcasting. Oh, right, right. And the crowds were unbelievable. I'm so happy I got to see it. Right. You know, you've got to experience those two different worlds in the same place. Yes. When it meant something before simulcast, you had to be at the park. You had to get your butt in that stadium to make your bets. And everybody showed up and people dressed up still. And you had this prestige about being at the track. Can you imagine what it was like in the 40s oh, and the 50s? You've seen those photos around the stadium. Where oh, everybody's, yes. all the parking lot is just full. The mall wasn't there yet. It was just for as far as you can see, the same black car. Yes. Right, lines up, you know. And the gentlemen all had yeah. jackets and hats. And right. Ladies had little purses over their shoulders if they, or their wrists if they came. And everybody's dolled up like they're at church. But yet they're just betting on the third horse in the second race. <laughs> so when did you start to feel that you were getting comfortable at the track? Like you weren't sweating through your suit? Uh, I'd probably say um, about 2023. Okay. So just recently you <laughs> I stopped. I had a good week. I you, had stopped, a... <laughs> you stopped sweating through your socks. Did you get a hang of it pretty quickly? Yes, but to me, every day, every race is extremely important. In my 35 years, there's never been a day that I didn't warm up properly and do what I had to do to make the job to the best of my abilities. Never. Right. You have to. You're, you're an athlete. You just play a trumpet. So you can't just roll out of the car and just grab the trumpet and go. You have to prep all day. Right? It's been just the story of the past 35 years. Do you, do you treat yourself very much like you have to be aware of what you drink in the morning, eat in the morning, and then practice in the morning so you don't get like heartburn or, you know, something like that where you're sitting there at one o'clock right before post going, whew, God, the, that's really not sitting well in Jay's chest. We'll put it, I'm comfortable. I'm careful. Right. I'm careful with it. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're, you perform for five hours, basically, right? From, from 12 to five, four-ish. You're on. You're, you're, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, if you have a proper warm-up, because here's where it gets completely different than playing the trumpet in an orchestra. I go down and play for 15 seconds, mm -hmm. and then I'm gone. 30 minutes later, I come back and play for 15 seconds. And you keep doing that. So it's like I have to go down and run the 50-yard dash. So what I want to be able to do is run the 100-yard dash without even thinking about it. And I hate to keep bringing this up, but you get older and it's not as easy. But I've kind of stayed in good shape. And I did a lot of hiking, put on a lot of miles. And when I'm at the track, I'm walking all day. Right. So that's when I'm in the best shape. When did you start kind of adding the ambassadorship, the walking around the stadium and engaging with the patrons at the stadium. Was that something quick you kind of did or? This was strange. I had neck surgery. I think it was 1996. Okay. And I couldn't pick my head up. So I asked the track, I said, could I come back and use this instrument called a herald trumpet? It will play the exact same things. And they said, yes, please come back to work. Because by then they liked me. Okay. And 
um, the major D said, you know, I see that you're playing the trumpet. Can you play happy birthday? And I thought, sure. So I went upstairs and mumbled my way through some birthday routine and played happy birthday. And that just snowballed into everything else. Really? So it was like nine years in, then you started to kind of work the stadium. Yes. Wow. And I mean, I have played thousands of birthdays. Right. I mean, it seems like you work more not at your 15 seconds of playing when I see you working that stadium. You're saying hi, you're getting selfies, you're, you're introducing yourself to people, people are coming up wanting to talk to you and... I mean, you're always on. Yes. So you just make yourself... Well, right. I am happy. I don't sure. have to fake it. Yeah. But, I mean, how do you... Are you cognizant about, okay, I need to have J times. I need to go to my room, gather myself, take a glass of water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? You have to think about you. Every couple of races. Okay. Um, I may do a birthday and then go down there while the race is running and have that extra eight minutes. Yeah, to get something to drink. Yeah, because your 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 life is pretty timed that day. You yes. know, like Jay's got to hit his marks. Boom, boom, boom. You can't be late. <laughs> yeah, when you spend a lot of your life looking at MTP <laughs> minutes to post, and you have to know that at a certain time I have to be there. Thirty five years, never missed a race. It's been close a couple times. <laughs> There's been a few times they were coming out on the track and I'm starting to play, but it's, it's very lax. When did Hollywood Park come into play? My second year, there was a gentleman who was playing at the tracks and he decided to take time off from Santa Anita. So I filled in for him. Okay. And then he decided to take off time from Hollywood Park. In the meantime, somebody heard me at Santa Anita, and they kind of let him go, and they asked me to come play at the fair. Played there for a lot of years. Okay. Until they shut out horse racing. Right. And then he left Hollywood Park after about a year, so then I went to Hollywood Park also. So I was doing the fair, Santa Anita, Hollywood Park, and Los Alamitos. In the meantime, I did some traveling. I've played at 20 tracks. 20? In eight different states. Yes. I've played in Canada a couple times, but you can't work in Canada. I've gone up and done them a favor. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I've been to Japan twice, too. Wow. I'm sitting here with the Michael Jordan of, of horse race yeah. trumpeteering. Jeez. Um, what was it like? Because you're talking about th- four Four very different parks. The, the the fairground, its park is extremely different compared to La Salle. Santa Anita is this massive, grand beauty. And then what Hollywood Park was, and then what it became, you know, with adding the casino and the things in the front. What was it like having those four different kind of lives in, the, in that little park? Like, what was the... Let's start with like maybe the fairgrounds. What was that like playing there? It could get kind of ugly at the fair, <laughs> 115 degrees. Yeah. But in the heyday, when they loved horse racing, which was just fantastic, you would say, 
hey, you know, it's really hot down here. Oh, yeah. The next thing, you'd have fans going, air conditioning, whatever you right. need. They were great. And, you know, after I established myself, they've been extremely nice to me. And you do that because, I mean, I've had the job longer than anybody. Mm -hmm. After the classic guy was there, Harold Collinson, and that's all he knew. He just could play the horn. Right. Couldn't play the trumpet. And he was from England, did horse shows. He was just, and he was a perfect gentleman. He was just, he was great. Mm -hmm. And so I played the call to the post like him. But then there were a lot of two-year, one-year people. And then the person I replaced was there for four years. Okay. And I guess it was really different because I showed up on time. I was never late to work. Um, I took great pride in what I did. And I was just pleasantly nice to people right the other people they were thinking oh, i'll do this till i can get out of here right and i didn't know what i i just didn't think it would turn into this long but i'm glad it did and i'm happiest when i'm there how did loss out what's that like when you were playing there it was a little tough because there was no place for me to go and you couldn't really ask for a room they were <laughs> like no no so i used to stay in first aid <laughs> and the woman down there was just so nice. They had a nurse at the track. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was different those days. Sure. So we'd just hang out there, and i talked to her all the time. And that's, of course, before I started going into the crowd. And it was nice, a little track. Everybody was happy there. Everybody's still happy at Los Alamitos. Right. I always say Los, Los. Yeah. People that work there are always happy. Then, then Hollywood Park, what was that like? Oh. Well, you're right next door to the forum. You had celebrities that were just, you know, would roll in there. What was that like when you first started? It was fantastic. And what I would do is, once again, how long am I going to do this? I took pictures with everybody. Really? Yes. You would, did you have your own camera or did you ask the track photographer? The track photographers okay. would take it for me. And I have pictures now from movie stars from 50 years ago. Whoa. I mean, I've got pictures that people don't even know who they are now. Right, right. But I have them with Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon, Jack Klugman, um, Merv Griffin. Of course, that's right. a funny story with him. Um, was there one you when you saw a celebrity, someone of that statue? Hollywood stars. Those were real. Jack Lemon's a real Hollywood star. Yes. When you saw them, was there ever like, oh, oh crap, that's... That's Jack Lemon. At first, a little bit. The first time you saw them, maybe. Yes. And then I thought, okay, you're going to have to get used to these celebrities. Right. Um, in my first year, Gallagher, guy that smashes Right, the, the, yeah. He goes, hey, I'm having a party. How much did you charge? So he hired me. I played at his house. Ah! <laughs> and, and also, it was in my first year where this guy's standing on this tunnel and he says, hey, can you play In a God of Davida? And I looked at him. No. <laughs> and he laughed, and I thought, oh. I laugh with him, and we're still friends to this day. He owned the ice house until a couple years ago. The and Pasadena he, ice house? Yes. So he would invite me to come to their anniversary shows, and I'd do my little shtick there. 
And then I ended up hosting a couple shows there. Wow. But stand-up comedy is really tough, so. <laughs> it's... I've heard brutal. you. I've heard you. I've heard you. Know, you you can hold your own out on the stage. Yeah. It's it can't be brutal. It's naked. You are. It's you are naked as a jaybird trying to make people laugh. It's tough. Well, the first one was great. The second one, I was dying. And then what happened is, there's a guy in the big room. I was in the small room, and he says, "Hey, come on out. Come on out and do something." And I walked out there not having a clue what I was going to say, and I tore it up. Because all I did, I looked at him and say, is anybody here having a birthday, an anniversary, an engagement, bar mitzvahs, divorces, hip or knee replacements, eye LASIK surgeries, upcoming colonoscopies? Is anybody here from New Jersey or any foreign country? And I have songs for all of that. And it just killed. I went in there and killed and went back to the room where I was dying. <laughs> Very difficult. And that is sometime I probably would have jumped off the bridge in Pasadena had I not gone in and killed in the one room while dying in the other. <laughs> I couldn't save it. What was, I mean, was there a difference? I was young, so I, I'm, I'm trying to think of it now. As, you know, Being 50 now, you kind of think, of, yes, there was a difference. But... Being 20, was there a difference for you when you were at Hollywood Park to Santa Anita those first four or five years? Did you see a difference? Can you feel a difference? There is a difference because you had a lot more movie stars okay. at Hollywood. The gal running the place was extremely strict. I mean, she was just, people feared her. Really? And I was a little nervous around her, but what's she going to do? Right. <laughs> and... And it was nice, though, because when they did some remodeling, I said, I need a room. You didn't was, ha originally? No, didn't I a had a room. Okay. It was pretty gross. Yeah, just a base the closet. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> made the best of it. And then I said, here's what I need. I need a sink. That's all I need in this room. Give me a sink, and I'll bring the rest. A sink is so crucial because... I wash my hands a couple times a day after, you know, you're running your hands up right. and down railings and all that stuff. Right. And they start to feel. And so it just was nice. They built me a very nice room. It was brand new and tiled floor. It was like, oh, wow. Whoa. Oh, Fancy pants. Look at you. <laughs> but I'd see these people that you only saw on TV and in movies. But they were always nice to me. Um. John Forsyth would come out and I would started to play Charlie's Angels, the theme. And he looked at me just, <laughs> that was it. I didn't, that was great. Just gave me the thumbs up. Now Sylvester Stallone came out. And of course I played Rocky and his very first date was on Friday night racing many, many years ago. And he's still with the same gal, which is kind of cool. That's crazy and i the times i see him and she'll go you know you were on our first date <laughs> so i always laugh and say i'm happy to see you together that's funny that their first date would be at a horse track that's where it was hollywood park that like i guarantee you people don't think of that today like hey our first date let's go to santa anita and, no they go to the vegan yogurt shop yeah which like, <laughs> is not 
That is, that's fun. Oh, that's great that they were able to do that. And now you're a little part of it. Yeah. And he turns out to be like just a nice, normal guy. Total nice guy. And we talked about Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah. We're talking about that. And I have in my office a thermometer that was in the place where he beats up that side of beef. Yeah. I have a thermometer from that place. How did you get that? Meat business. My dad. <laughs> your dad, of course. He used it in one of the refrigerators for years and years. And so when, I, when he went out of, closed down, retired, mm-hmm. he didn't sell it. He just closed it down. I said, let me have a few things. And that was one of them. Whoa. So just little things that have gone perfectly. Well, now I'm playing the trumpet. I'm going up to the crowd. And now I'm thinking more and more, what can I do to make this better? What can I, how can I change this? I want to make everything good. I keep everything above board. The only people that ever hear me say something is somebody I really know well Mm -hmm. before I'll even (laughs) say like anything that can't be said on TV, right? Sure. Right. Right. But nobody's ever get, little kids never going, mommy, that man in the red suit just said, it's not going to happen. Right. There was a guy who used to come around me. His language was foul. And I just said, you know, I'm sorry, but if you want to come talk to me, you have to stop cursing. And he walked away and never talked to me again. And I didn't care. Interesting. <laughs> I, wow. I just said, I can't right. be around I that. I don't need that. I don't want this. Did but, you keep the same coach horn through all four tracks? Was that, was that like a signature thing with you? It was the same one. The first year I had to borrow it. Right. From Santa Anita. Santa Anita has its own horn. Okay. And then I had a maid. Okay. How about your uniform, your, your style, what I, what I see you in Santa Anita in the red coat and hat? Was that something you started early with or was that something that kind of transformed? No, that was the tradition. Okay. Still is the tradition. It's a coachman's coat. Okay. And, of course, it fit. And... <laughs> But since then, I've been through many coats in 35 years. Right. Many hats. Boots? Like, you wear boot? Well, I used to wear boots. And all I did was kept breaking. The backs of them kept breaking because they're made to ride. Okay. They're not really made for walking. Right. And I'm, you probably put in 10,000 steps a day easily. Yeah, I wore one of those things. And the funny thing was, I never wore one of those. Yeah, step counter, right? Step yeah. counter. Well, when it hits 10,000, it vibrates and buzzes uh-huh. and goes off. And I can tell you exactly where it is when I thought, am I having a heart attack? What's wrong with my wrist? And I'm like, oh, oh, I put that thing on. <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, it's, I was just 10 steps from my room. And I'm like, what's going on with my wrist? It's so silly. Jay's dying, Jay's dying. I'm just so, I just can't believe how technologically advanced I am. I'm still living in the 80s. So That's all right. It's not a bad place to be. Anyway. So did you change the boot? Yes. I went to a paddock boot with leggings. Okay. Now that's something that has been worn there before. And was that not a problem? Or I don't know how like you're breaking tradition and oh my God, you got to go see somebody. No, it was fine. Okay. It was fine. They um, had a wardrobe guy who took care of everything. Oh, interesting. But I had these strange leggings made at a place in Baldwin Park. And custom made, they measure your leg and they fit and they work great. So I went through several of those through the years and then just discovered by riding stuff. So now when you start, especially in December opening day, 
it could still be very cool. Yes. But then by the end of, you know, especially now, like end of June, it can start to warm up. And you're wearing a, a pretty hefty coat. I mean, that thing is pretty good size. Are you keeping track of that? Like, oh, this is a good day to, you know, I got to drink more water. Like, how are you prepping yourself in a uniform to keep it fresh? Because, you know, it's, there's a lot that people just don't think about. Right. At 90 degrees, I take the coat off and put on a vest. I have a red vest. Okay. That's just... That's about my breaking point. Right. Nobody needs to say Jay pass out. <laughs> no, like... no, I don't want to want it to happen that yeah. way. <laughs> but that's it. I keep a bottle of water. Okay. And right, you know, next to where I play. Mm-hmm. And now they have them up there, so I just keep grabbing cold bottles as I need them. That's all. But then when I have to go to the room, if it's a hot day, I have to go down and oil the valves one more time. Okay. They get oiled before I started, and if it's hot. I'll have to go oil them again. It's not. Right. But walk me through Hollywood Park. We'll 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 go through those stories because I'm I'm sure you've got a trillion. You probably more than you forgot than so many you can remember. And it's watching it slow decline because that that was kind of sad. The the way it was it was happening. You know, new ownership, I think it was 2000 four or five and you, you know you, there's all these rumors and you the the lakers had left so that you know the font or the forum sits there kind of a ghost town the t- the town changed really and it shaped from the 80s to its end of its lifespan what was that like for you to see that in those 25 years it was sad i mean you'd turn around and look at the stands and they'd be empty um, the movie stars weren't coming anymore. Friday nights were still fun. Um, when R.D. Hubbard bought the place, it was a party. We okay. all had fun. He made the place extremely enjoyable. He was always nice to me. He was just great. And that's when I started going out to play at Riadosa for him. Okay. But it was just sad to see things stop. I mean, the turf club... If you stood up and you didn't have your jacket on, the Mater D would say, excuse me, put your jacket on. You weren't allowed to leave your seat without wearing your coat to go bet. Wow. And that I was strictly enforced. I didn't know that. To get into the turf club, you had to be recommended by somebody. You had to have a referral. Whoa. It was, it was very nice. I mean, so that means, you know, and people took it serious that you showed up to impress, to go there. I mean, you were, you were dressed up. It was different. When did you start to see changing? I can't tell you the year. But you really... sensed it? You could feel it? Well, yeah, because people now were going to Santa Anita when Hollywood Park was open. It's like... And then the attendance, but the handle was great. And that's good. They're still making the money now, which is great because then they can keep hiring me. Yeah. When did you start to hear rumors that Hollywood Park was on the ropes? Probably about six years before it closed. Okay. And they had a big employee meeting that said, if we don't get the slot machines, we're going to close. Oh, I remember that. That's right. That's what they, that casino, that was what they were trying to keep it alive. Yes. They needed that. Some of the very successful tracks now 
have casinos attached to them. So they could be year-round and 24-7. Yep. They're making a lot of money that way. Yeah. And it keeps the horse racing alive. Because without that, right, we've seen major tracks close. Yeah. So what was that last year like? It was pretty sad knowing that it was closing. But I was also happy in a way because that drive was brutal. Yeah, for Driving you. from here to Hollywood Park and then the drive home. What time did you have to be there? I'm always there two and a half hours before the races start. So, oh, Jesus. That's, yeah. Sometimes Hollywood would be two hours because I didn't have the carriage. Right, but still, that's a good... You're leaving right in the ugly time of the day to get there at 10. It would be tough. Yeah, yeah. the drive could be really tough. And then the drive home was just like... Oh. How long would that take? A couple hours? Oh, 90 minutes? Oh, it could take 90 minutes to oh. sometimes two hours if it was bad. So... I was okay because I knew the dates were going to Santa Anita. Okay. Um, and that's just worked out perfectly for me. I'm not lazy. Right. By any means. But it was just easier. That last couple of days, was it kind of like playing at a funeral? You couldn't move. There were 40,000 people the last couple of days, every Isn't day. is weird? Yeah. And... I was trying to get upstairs and I could never get there. I was stopped by people wanting to take pictures. It's everybody wanted to show up to see the funeral. Yes. And there was, and I tried to remember, I was trying to find the assignment. I forgot there was a horse. I don't know if it was trying for the triple crown or if it was Baffert or what, but feral or furl or I don't know. But there was a horse that ran big the last couple of years there. I remember I had to cover an assignment for Sports Illustrated there. And it was sad. To, I hadn't been to the park in a while. It was tough to see its change. Yeah. Yes, it was. There was just no life. The life had been let out. Yeah. So it goes away. Your life now is starting to get reduced to Santa Anita. And you know, I think by that time, has the, has the fairground stopped by then? I think we still had the fair. Okay. And La Salle, well, then the racing dates went to La Salle. Okay. I say it's, it's Los Al. Don't yeah. call me. Los Al. Yeah, don't, me don't, don't uh, make bad comments. Sorry. Los, Los, <laughs> Los. So. Was, was, that, was that better for you then that everything was at, I guess, one central place, the majority of your work, and you can really hone your craft at that point? I really love Santa Anita. Yeah, it's so special. My second year, I said, I need a room. I can't not have a, a room. They didn't have a room for you your first year? No, and the bugler would just stay in the wardrobe. Okay. Could practice. I found a little places to practice where I wouldn't bother people. But in those days when I first started, I had a little AM radio that I had to listen to the races. <laughs> they didn't have it on the TVs right, through the yeah. track. And then I'd have to see, okay, there's post time subtract the time and I'd go out make sure I was outside on time <laughs> are you is your room down by the tunnel Where yes okay yes and it's when you come in there next time you're at the track yeah and I'll bring you in there's probably about 200 pictures on the wall at least I saw I saw that and it's beautiful the wall of all the people I've played to except people don't want to be on that wall because 
I don't know, 75% of them are no longer with us. What that tells you, though, that's not a bad thing. That tells you how long you've done it and the lives you've touched. It's not like their last week's, you know, show yes. at 75, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, don't get your picture with Jay on a Tuesday. <laughs> don't show up. Like, well, now I'm playing to the kids of the kids. Right. And they're always like, you know, they'll be like, Sam, you know, when I was your age, this man used to come play for me. That's me. Yeah. Yeah, it's my kids have grown up as you know, the, looking for the man in the red coat. You know, oh, there he is, there he is, there he is. You know, we if we ever sometimes we take my mom, we'd be up in the front runner up top in the window, and she could be comfortable in the air conditioning, and they would look down. They were squirts, you know, standing on their chairs looking to see where you were because if they could see you, that means it was you know we got to start looking at our uh, the book, figuring out what horse, and of course they're picking them by names of cute you know thunderbolt yeah we'll go with him are you sure he's 50 to one yeah thunderbolt i used to have that pavlovian effect i'd walk <laughs> on the track and i would see people walking towards the tunnel when i walked on the track on the railing and mm-hmm. i'm talking hundreds of people back in those days right they were just it was kind of funny they'd all be sitting around in the seats and then i'd go on the track they'd eye me Boom, they had to come see the horses come out onto the racetrack. Tell me about when you started feeding the Clydesdales with carrots. (laughs) When did that start? Well, I used to feed the pony horses. And then one day I thought, you know, I'm going to just, that it just was something that came to mind. She's a really standoffish horse. She is. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny because there's horse, there was one horse that just didn't like me. Because of the jacket and the hat, I think that had to be it. Because I went over to see the horse trying to make, see if I can get this horse used to me. Didn't work. Um, I could, in street clothes, she was fine. But the coat just. The coat, the hat, hat, and that horse, I had a hard time getting on the carriage. And they had to stop. They tried it two or three times. And I'd get onto the carriage and the horse would just (laughs) try to get me off there. (laughs) Oh, God. But the horse they use now, she is just like she knows what she is. She loves her job. She'll feed it because she knows I'm going to come over and give her a mint. You go to pet her and she turns her head. So I think, you little standoffish <laughs> thing. <laughs> but So that started recently? Yes, in the past okay. probably two years. Okay. And I just thought, then they started putting it on TV. And well, I, I said, saw it and I thought, what the heck is <laughs> He's feeding the animals. Well, now people expect to see it, so I do it every day. Oh, God. It's just great. It's just all part of the whole routine. Yeah, it's it's almost like, you know, watching Walt walk around the park. It's, like, special. Like, you have Santa Anita, but little things like that make it even more special to see. Thank you. It really is. Like, I mean, it's... There's certain people when you see at the park, we go upstairs and we make a bet. And I literally go to make a bet with the same gentleman because I've seen him for 20 years and he's great and we chit chat. And then, you know, my wife goes here, the kids go there. There's so many little secret gems in that park. I would I would give a day of my life to know what it was like in a Tay Day, like in the 40s and 50s. The director's room up there. Oh, my God. My wife wants to my wife wants to divorce me and then remarry me just so we can have our wedding in the chandelier room. 
Like she's just like <laughs> she's like, let's just pretend. Like that is that must have been just magic. It was unbelievable the people that were up there. One time I went up there, there was like a little back elevator that you kind of knew about mm-hmm. to get to the director's room. And I walked in and just started talking to the people. And there was Merv Griffin. And he says, you know, I have a horse in the next race. How do I get to the paddock? And I said, Merv, it's perfect. That's where I'm headed. I had to go do the paddock call. So I said, just come with me. So he's following me with an assistant. He had sure. whatever you want to call the guy, probably a bodyguard. But... And as soon as we get off the elevator, I start playing the Jeopardy theme. (laughs) And I wouldn't stop. And he keeps going, stop that. Stop that. And when he did it, I just played it louder. (laughs) You're right. And he's just rocking right behind me. And everybody's going, Merv, hey, Merv. (laughs) One of the favorite things. And then his person came up to me later and he said, Merv loved that. So... That was kind of neat. Years later, I'm doing a job at the hotel, Beverly Hills Hotel. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I hear this kicking and cursing. I own this damn place and I can't smoke a cigarette. And it was really dark. And I said, Merv, is that you? He's like, yeah, who is it? And I said, it's the bugler from the track. So we sat out there talking about the heyday. It was a great conversation. And I'm back there like waiting to go on stage to play. And I walk in this room, there's Phyllis Diller sitting in there. It's just hilarious. These, I got a picture with her, of course. And yeah, the heyday was just tremendous. And the people that have been there. Did you know you were in it? Did you really know you were in it? Were you, not to say you were naive, but you're so young. Did you know you were in the heyday? No. Because I look at today and think, in 50 years, today's going to be the good old days. Yeah. How much worse can we get here? But we're not going to talk political things. No, no, no. But I just don't but, like what I'm seeing now. Right. But I'm just, I'm just talking about the life of the track. Like the you life were, of the track. You were really like, oh my God, you were such in magical moments with people. Like people, you don't see George Clooney at the track anymore, Matthew Modine, whatever. Name of, name of, you were, you were with the real unbelievable quality talented people that were having just a good time it's tremendous yeah june 2019 my wife and i my youngest son my middle son he's got a girlfriend at the time he doesn't want to go to the track he wants to go to the movies with her so we go we take my sister-in-law my oldest sister-in-law we're gambling we're doing our little betting we're running around mel brooks is there <laughs> and my youngest son's like Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks, that Mel Brooks, that that's Mel Brooks. I'm like, yes, that's Mel Brooks. My wife's over the moon, so my sister-in-law, my wife, they start talking to him. Next thing you know, they're getting selfies with him. They're kissing him on the cheek. Mel's playing it up. He's having a great time. My youngest son gets a picture with him. I get my picture with him. I'm thinking I'm literally sitting across from the man. Lord, if for a Jew who came back, I thought he was Jesus. Like it was just that special. My young, my middle son who didn't go is like, I'm breaking up with my girlfriend. I can't believe I missed that. You guys were with, there was Mel Brooks. I'm like, yeah, he was there. And I've never seen him since. Now, granted, COVID and all that stuff. But to walk in and see him there, it was like, oh, 
wow, only at the track. And he talked for on and off with us because you know you keep going to the windows and stuff for two hours. Yes, I'm having conversations with Mel Brooks, and we were not talking about the producers, this and that. We're talking about he's betting in an Argentina on some horse, and he's betting in you know Golden Gate and this and that, and he can't believe that that horse and this guy, and he's up, he's tearing his book up and. Two hours, that's what we had conversations about. And it was the absolute best. And I'm sure you've had a million of those. It's been tremendous. I don't know if you saw the Mel Brooks book sitting on my coffee table over there. No. Yeah, it's over oh. there. <laughs> yes, funny man, Mel Brooks. And in my top 10 things that have ever happened, I went up to a table and the people were startled, first timers. <laughs> And I just looked and said, it's okay, I work here. <laughs> yeah. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around, it was Mel Brooks, and he looked at me and said, that's really funny. And he walked away. So I can say that something I said, Mel Brooks said, was really funny. And you quit that day. You should, that should have been your last day. I should have just gone home <laughs> yeah, right, and given right. it up. That's a walk-off home run. That's Boom, it. done. I'm Seventh done. game, you're out of here. I'm finished. Yeah. But, Everything after that's downhill. <laughs> like, my God. It was absolutely like the best, best compliment I've ever had on comedy because someone who is just a god. Right. Like you said, I don't know how he thinks that way. Right. Sure is funny, and I'm glad he does. Yeah, he's on the Mount Rushmore of just absolute comedy geniuses. And all you were doing was just being kind. And you just Look, said something witty. I just doing my shtick. And yeah. now it's a normal part. It was an ad lib. Right. At the time. And I've had many, many ad, li <laughs> ad libs that are now part of the job. Uh, but one day at Hollywood Park, Mel is sitting with Dick Van Patten. And, God, I can't. Donna Reed Show. He was in the Donna Reed Show. Daryl. Okay. And so the entire day was devoted to Mel Brooks. Dick Van Patten, and Daryl, who I don't know his last name. I am so sorry. And I played the theme from the Donna Reed show. I did Blazing Saddles. I did Putting on the Ritz. Dick Van Patten's favorite song was My Buddy. That's really? a very old song, but I used to play that. Whenever he ran a horse, I would play that song. And Daryl's favorite song is My Way. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. I, and there was one other for Dick Van Patten. And the announcer, all day when I, when I played Blazing Saddles, I was Jay Brooks. <laughs> when I played my buddy, I was Jay Van Patten. <laughs> Hilarious announcer. We just played it up the whole day. And it was so much fun. It was just, and Mel Brooks gave me $100, and I still have it. I can't. Spend it. I can't put it in the bank. No. I wrote his name on it. <laughs> right. And it's in my wallet. Unless there's something really, really funny, I can't spend it. No. If I buy it on the funniest joke in the world or something. But right. No. I'll keep that till. That's not a hundred dollars. It's it's literally like a letter from Mel Brooks. That's what that is. And you wouldn't sell a letter. Yeah. I hope I never need it. Yeah. <laughs> If you do, you could probably ask Mel for another hundred. Yeah, maybe. I'd have to call him. <laughs> it was interesting that, that celebrities back then had horses. You know, like how often now 
do you see somebody at the track and it's name that actor, actress, and they've got a horse. But then almost everybody had, it seemed like they were having horses or running them. Yeah, it was good. It was good times. Yeah. Was it odd to work, like when you were at, teaching in the high school, you were teaching kids. Very simple. Get them to learn their instruments, play their notes, and not embarrass themselves. But now you're working at a place and you've worked at multiple places where you have the chance of actually losing your wage because you can gamble at your job. <laughs> it's, it's very, like, there's not many places in the world where you can do that, like maybe Vegas. But, like, you don't work at, like, you can't work at a football stadium and gamble on it. It's weird that there's gambling happening right there all the time. Was that, was that new to you when you first started to be like, I could double my wage or lose my wage today? That's a very interesting question. Very good. It was my first year, first starting, and there was a guy that used to work in the paddock, and payday was Thursdays. And by the fourth race, he was trying to borrow money. He would lose his entire paycheck in four races, and he had a family to feed. He had kids and house and... I thought, I better not do that. I better not bet on the horses. So, there was a horse named Trumpet Solo. I bet it. Of course I did. And it won and paid $31 with Kent DeSormo. But not that I remember every bet I've ever placed. There was another one, First Chair Trumpet. Well, of course I'm going to bet them. Of the, course. That one, sure. Yes. A- okay. Then there was Trumpet Player J, horse named after me. I had to bet that. And I bought tons of tickets that I'd give them out to the grooms and everybody when he won. And there was another horse named Jay Makes Us Laugh. And of course I had to bet that horse. And it was named that because they could lose a race. And, you know, it cost a lot of money to train a horse, buy a horse. And they would lose. And I have a way to make people laugh even after they've lost. And it's like, I don't know how I do it. I don't know where that came from, but the guy said, I'm Nick, can I name a horse? Jay makes us laugh. And I said, sure, it's great. I got, he won. He won a couple races. Wow. Yeah, it's, I've always thought like, it's got to be pretty dangerous to work here because you could just be like, oh, it's just two bucks. Next race, it's just two bucks. I got I lost two. I got to double it up. I, okay, four bucks. I got to try to make that back. Next thing you know, you're, like you said, four races in and that guy's looking to borrow money. Yeah, and it, no, it never never was tempting for me to bet. Never went to the track as a kid or an adult, and it just wasn't in my interests. I'm not really a gambler. Yeah. However. But, <laughs> there's always a however, but. Oh, no, but if I can't remember the horse's name. <laughs> Ted West trained him. Jeffrey Singara owned him. And that's like another thing. I've known this guy for 30 plus years and he's owned horses and he's back to owning horses again, Mm -hmm. seeing him at Santa Anita. And he just looked at me and touched his heart because we have this relationship, which is unbelievable. Just knowing and watching his kids and it is so good. And I went up to Canada to play and I wasn't at the track more than five minutes and I ran up to him. It was his home track. It just, you can't buy this kind of life. You just, nothing. It just happened. 
Yeah, I mean, if you worked it. But we got to finish the okay, story. Yeah. So I'm back at Gulfstream Park doing the Breeders' Cup with three other guys who were all gamblers. They're all playing the horses all day. And I kept saying, you got to bet this horse. Boy, it's going to kill me. Tabasco Cat came in second. It was the Breeders' Cup Classic. And I said, come on, guys, you got to bet this horse. I was in Seattle and it won. Then I was at Santa Anita and it won. And it's going to win today. And they finally got really mad at me because they were really gambling. They were horse players. So they said, go put your money where your mouth is. So I went up and I played in exacta box with three horses. And I put, it was five, five, and five on the horse. I got back close to $1,700. I had to go do an IRS sign up. <laughs> Here's the guy that never bets going up. And of course, now, I'm, now you want to hear me sound like a gambler? The three horses I used in the Exacta came in one, two, three, and the trifecta played $30,000. <gasps> but I don't want to sound like a gambler. So my little bet. And plus the win place show money was over 1700 But because of how much it paid, right. they were both 30 to 1. Oh. <laughs> they were just so mad at me. And I said, guys, I'll buy dinner. <laughs> Didn't help. Didn't help at all. <laughs> I felt. But it was like, that's it. I took my little shot. And that and was it. Yeah, but I don't want to sound like the people I call sore losers. Right. I would have, I could have, I should have. <laughs> Tell me about your big break, right? Yes, you've you've did the marching thing and you have the bugler and the whole but you're really your big break came when you made the movies. Seabiscuit, right? That's where you skyrocketed. After that, it was like, you know, the star on the walk of fame and you're just you're you're doing ESPN commercials. That must have been. A highlight. Yeah, you can notice the people trying to beat down my door now. <laughs> I know. I thought going through the gates with all the armed guards and stuff was a little much here in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Glendora, but I do have my, uh, I have the people that just let me know you got here. And the people, sorry, they're dogs. Okay. What was but, that like being in the show, being in the movie? It was just like I've been in 50 TV shows, movies, and commercials. And they're just so boring because you sit in the room, sit wait. you come up and you eat, you go back to your room, you practice a little more getting ready for you. Yeah. About another hour. So you get more to eat because the food's always great. So I sit in my room and then finally they knock on the door. Hey, time to shoot. Went out there, shot the scene. Um, the first time for some reason I held the horn too high. I was used to holding it up high, and mm -hmm. they wanted it uh, level to the ground. Okay. And so that was the first take <laughs> that didn't, no, 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 we need the horn level. Second take, they're like, hey, great, you're done. That's it, get out of here. <laughs> and then I went off into the stands and recorded a few fanfares that they used in the movie. Right. That was it. <laughs> What was it like being like your first one, your first TV show or commercial and stuff? Was that yeah, it was shocking, a like terrifying me, <laughs> little old me? It was a beer commercial, and I 
just remember standing there all day. I know what happened. There were a couple guys who were comedians. Mm -hmm. So we were playing a game where you give the punchline and the other person had to give the first line of the joke. <laughs> That's what we sat and did 90% of the time. There were a couple jockeys in the commercial. And oh, that was, God. It's, there's, That's just sit around and wait. It's sit around, hurry up, and wait. So, like, I did the TVG commercial, and the actors kept forgetting their lines. And I'm just standing there. I kept playing the call to the post. About the 25th time, I said, you know what? You're not really using this in the recording, so I'm just going to play the last six notes. So, da, 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 da. I said, because... And then one time, I just missed about six notes. And I looked down and said, I'm sorry, guys. I forgot my line. <laughs> I've never seen people come so ill-prepared. I could actually do their lines just like they could. I don't know why they couldn't memorize them. It was kind of, I don't know. Is, is memorizing easy for you? Being no. You got, oh, it's not. Absolutely one of the hardest things I have to do. But I figured out how to do it. I put the music on the music stand and play it once a day. And then that just repetitiveness sinks in. I don't try to memorize it. And then one day I realize, oh, I've got it memorized. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not looking at the sheet. I've just got this song down. Yeah. When there's really different special requests, or like on Veterans Day, when I play all the branches or Memorial Day, mm -hmm. all of the branches of the military, I just put the music out there. Right. It's just easy to do. It's not like I'm going to forget how to play those songs, but I don't want to take the chance. It was, th now this is, this is the emotional part of the podcast because I remember this when it was happening. I read Plasky's story and I was like, oh God, you know, someone's tugging on Superman's cape. Is it 2018 when you get, when you start to notice something going on? Yeah. Bill was here at the house, and the dog tried to bite him. <laughs> but he that's did. all right. There's been a lot of athletes that have I'm wanted to bite so Bill, sorry. so that's okay. So sorry. Oh, what a great, super nice guy. He great writer. Guy. Oh, my He's God. He's a good guy. And I, just, I was flying on a plane back to New Jersey, and somehow, talking to the guy next to me, and he goes, oh, you play the trumpet. I said, yeah, because I had my trumpet with me. Right. I say, yeah, I play it. The racetrack he goes oh i read that article about you you had bell's palsy opening day i was i noticed that i was off and i had my trio in and i was like guys i can't play this song if for some reason i'm just my lip doesn't feel right today and so we had to play different things you know the songs that i had the lead part on i just couldn't handle them and i'm like that's really weird i went home and my practicing was way off so the next day I'm warming up. Had you had ready. any kind of anything happened before in your career where you just kind of felt that off with your mouth or? You do have days where it's like you leave the track and I'll play for five minutes at home and put it away. Just realizing, okay, my lips hurt. They're tired. I'm done. So yeah. you stop practicing. That's all. But I couldn't figure this out. So now I'm calling a friend of mine I take lessons from. I'm like, something's going on here. So let me come over to your house. So he's like, yeah, I don't, you're just a little bit off. So the next day I go out and I'm like, oh, I can't play. I'm just like, what is going on? 
So now it's New Year's Eve. And I'm out there playing the trumpet barely. I'm barely getting through the call to the post once. Called the announcer and I said, I can't play it twice. I don't know what's wrong. And then January 1st, um, I was like, I can't play at all. I was in my room trying to warm up and I said, nothing will come out. So I started to get a severe headache to where I was like, you know, there's something wrong. So I called my doctor. We're friends. And I said, uh, something wrong with me. I said, I really have a really, really bad headache. I feel this and I feel this. He says, go tonight, go to the emergency room. So I went there and like, you might be having a stroke. And I'm like, no, don't tell me that. So now they start doing every test in the world. And I'm there for five days. And they're trying this, they're trying that. They're like, I don't know what's wrong. And they came in, oh, they did a spinal tap. Had a neurologist, that hurt. Jam that needle in your back. Yeah. But anyway, then on the fifth day, she comes back like, do you have a picture? Do you have your driver's license? I said, yeah. She takes it and looks at it and goes, oh, you have Bell's palsy. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, your face is drooping. Nope. Nobody noticed. Well, it wasn't doing it until then. Bell's palsy is something you're sitting one minute and the next minute you have it. Your face just drops and it's right. over. Not me. Mine took five days to come in. So within two or three more days, that's it. The face is drooping. You can't move any of the muscles on the right side. Well, I should say that. I don't know if it was the right or the left. Thank God I forget. But your eye is stuck open. And man, you want to wash your face with your eyes stuck open. You want to sleep. You have to like pull your eyes shut, which isn't easy, and then put tape over it. No. Yeah, it's kind of bad. Or wear an eye patch. Oh, an eye patch, yeah. So, you know, we were talking in the past, and George Clooney told me it was really impolite to drop names. But he does that a lot. He's yeah. such a name dropper. Isn't he? God, God, it drives me nuts. Oh, this and that. Like, all right, George, whatever. The article in the paper. So, actually, no, that well, pa- article wasn't in the paper. Doc Severinsen called because his son, who I'm friends with, told him that I had it. And he calls, says, You got to call me. I still have that message if you want to hear it later. <laughs> of course, I'm going to save it. And he said, I called him back and he said, Okay, yeah, Bell's Paul. Yeah, yeah. What do you like to do besides play trumpet? And I said, I like to hike. And he said, Go hiking. He says, because you're not going to play trumpet for a little bit. And I said, okay. And now I immediately, I went to acupuncture. I read everything I could find on Bell's palsy. And I did it. Uh, Chewing gum, massaging my face, using a vibrator all over my neck and face and every single day. And then I did, I found this really nice lady on YouTube and we did our face exercises every single day. And finally, one day, I saw the corner of my mouth move, and I went, oh, I think it's coming back. But this was after a month. A month, okay. So finally, every day, I'm trying, trying, and one day I went, I said, I can buzz. Hallelujah. So I ran to the trumpet, and the most god-awful sound came out. And that's when I realized I had to start 
all over again. So I took out easy steps to the band, put the book on the music stand and said, okay, here's page one, here's the first note I learned to play. It took me two weeks to get through that book. I could probably do it in about 10 minutes now. And two weeks struggling every single day to play. And when Bill was here, I went and I picked the trumpet up and I got about half of the call to the post out, said a bad word, which is unlike me, and put the trumpet away. I said, not yet. It was, it was torture. It must have been. It Just, must have been heartbreaking. I mean, how did you keep yourself out of like a depressional state? Because I mean, like it's taking something away from you that's your magic. No, you're just depressed. Yeah. That's all you are because it's like, I didn't even, I didn't go hiking. I'm like, this is too weird. This is like horrible. And then the other thing, I mean, I didn't like going out in public. Sure. Because, you know, you're just, people look at you, oh, the poor guy had a stroke. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my face was just, and you can't move your mouth and you're just, (laughs) it was, it was a tough time. Why did Doc know about it? Like, uh, did he had it? He had it. He had it. He had it too. Yes. He told me he walked in to play a concert and he walked across a freezing cold parking lot, got in and he was trying to play and he's like, nothing's coming out. And they looked at it, he said, uh, something's wrong, doc. And so of course he went and he found out he had Bell's palsy. He came back pretty fast, um, a lot faster than me. Is it a, I, th- I saw. I think I saw it like eleven percent or something. It's a very low percentage of people that get it. But what's the percentage of recovery? Is that high? Yeah, there was very little chance that I wouldn't come back from it. Okay. However, a time thing. You can still have some rem- remnants. Yeah, and I had a hope that I didn't have that because it would have stopped. I still. It's not as strong as it was. Okay. I the right side, but. I keep doing exercises on the trumpet mm-hmm. to keep my embouchure as strong as right. I can. But I lost a little bit that never came back. But it doesn't matter. I can play those four notes that I really need. Now, your community is very tight. How many people reached out to you and were like, listen, Jay, you know, you've got this. You're going to be okay. Was it, was it like just phone call after phone call? Yeah, the union called me when they heard about it. And they said, listen, we have a guy here that had it saxophone player so here call him yeah, and another guy Arturo Sandoval after Bill Plasky's article called me right. one of the greatest players in the world yeah. and he actually changed my life with something when I went to see him years and years ago he played one song and I went that's amazing and so I bought the recording of him doing it and I kept Kept imitating it. What did he play? What did he do? Body and soul. And he just improvised like nobody's business. He played it like I've never heard a song played before. He just went off and did some magic. Yeah. And that was one of those moments that was very, very changing in my music. See, for you, like, I see that in your face. Like, that means when you see other people with unbelievable skill play stuff that you play and they they riff and they go for 30, 45 seconds and they just make magic. What is that like? What does that mean? What do you feel in your heart when you see that kind of, I guess, professional, just absolute top skill happen in front of you? What does that do to you? 
I realize he's not thinking about playing the trumpet. He's thinking about making music. And music is a very, very powerful thing. I mean, music has caused riots. I mean, people think, oh, the, you know, you get the rock bands and the concerts and people going crazy. Right. But that happened in 1910 also when the music uh, by Igor Stravinsky, The Rite of Spring, it was so outlandish that they tore the theater apart. People were ripping up the seats and they rioted. That's 1910 because that music was like way too over the top. When you wanted to hear music 100 years ago, you had to get dressed, you got dressed up, you bought tickets, then you went to the theater. Or, well, 1920s, I should say 120 years ago, then you would go to hear it live. Mm -hmm. It was live. Right. You weren't flipping on the radio or right. yeah. getting the iPod or whatever they're using today. Sorry, MP3. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I still have CDs. But yeah, but you had to be in person to see that. Yeah. And it caused so much. That's when you listened. Too. Sure. You listened to the music and it meant something. And when you hear something like that that is just so out of this world and then I just listened to it over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to Doc Severinsen play Georgia. He plays Georgia. It's just, it just, it's with a passion right. that you just can't imagine. It's, he also, well, not the other one, but Georgia. Right. For some reason when he plays that, there's a certain just. something to it. I've heard him on recordings and I've heard it live. Something about that song. Jesse nails it. It's his song. Can you, I mean, there were points where like Chet or Miles, those guys would be playing and they were really rough parts of their career. They were playing in the middle of nowhere, little places in Santa Monica or God knows little hole in the wall here and there. And like these are masters. But they were dealing with demons and stuff, but they could pick up that trumpet and play and just, they could stop traffic. They were just unbelievable. When you think about the ability to be able to do that, is that, and, you, and you, you're in that craft, you play, I mean, that's got to be just stunning to be able to be in that, that family of people that do that. It's, I mean, you make music, you play music. I was talking to a gentleman last night about it. He was a piano player at the party that I had to mm -hmm. cancel our thing for, sorry. Um, <laughs> and we got into discussing music. And I said, you know, I haven't been making music in so long. I played about four or five songs with him. And he's like, well, you play really well. And I said, yeah, and I'm making music. It feels so good. I can't, whatever. We, we played um, Misty. Okay. And it was like, God, it felt so good to play music again. And so we, we did a bunch of tunes, and he was really good. And then we sat there talking about, I said, I got to know, because you play really, really well. You know, where did you study? How did you do it? <sighs> he didn't have any teachers. I had one teacher. But he was about four years old playing in his dad's church. He sat down at the organ and figured it out. His dad was a preacher. Just great conversation but he just 
played everywhere. He's a very talented guy. And there's something about music that is universal. I can take a piece of music and I can go to any country in the world, sit down with any trumpet player, because we all read the same. Right. It's not different. There's not anything different in this music. Now, we used to get sometimes Russian parts in the orchestra because you always rented, they rented the music. And when the parts came from orchestra, the handwritten notes would be in Russian. That was the only time it was difficult. Now, most everything's in Italian Mm -hmm. on the music itself. But (laughs) we used to have to get a dictionary or something, try to (laughs) translate it. But basically, anybody on the planet reads the same music amazing so you can make music with anybody with anybody you can walk into vietnam or new zealand or you know peru and you can play with a band that's neat i know all three national anthems (laughs) you pick three good countries (laughs) what was it like going back and playing finally being healthy to play back at santa anita Uh, it was the people's reaction i went down on the carriage and it was just, everybody was cheering. I don't want to get that way, okay. I, I, but yeah, but it, was, but it was special. It had to be special. You're back. You're, you've got you and your trumpet in your back. That had to yeah. be just, you know, you beat the son of a bitch. I'm going to go out there and play my best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was struggling a little bit. That's okay. But it didn't but matter. Back. I got the song out. I still had the same jokes and magic tricks and all that stuff was just at a go. Right. Yeah, it was, I beat you. Yeah. You can't keep me down, and thank you, God, for letting me beat it. Right. That's it. That's then it. you go back into your room and give a fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it felt really good. I yeah. bet it did. Yeah. What was, I mean, so that happens. You get through that in 19. You go through that spring, March of 2020, and the world's starting to get thrown, and it's right in the middle of your work, right? You're, that's, March is, you're hitting your stride at Santa Anita, and we start throwing things into a monkey wrench with COVID. What was that like for you guys at the track? Because my wife and I talked, that was the least we've gone to the track in years because we would go for opening day, maybe New Year's, and this day, that day, JFK, whatever, all of a sudden, we're like, we can't go in March, we can't go in April, we can't go Mother's Day. What was that like for you guys at the track? Well, I was unemployed. Yeah. But I mean, well, <laughs> did they have a big meeting and say, like, guys, we're going to try to get this together? You know, um, they two, did. Two weeks, we'll flatten the curve, <laughs> you know, kind of thing? Yeah, that's what they did. And they figured out how to get live racing back because the horses have to run. Right. They have to run. They love to run. That's what they do. Yeah, you couldn't have them sit for a year. You have, That just couldn't work. So they still had horses running. They figured out how to get in with the COVID codes that we're in. Right. And then my phone rang. And I remember, this was funny. I'm practicing and practicing. And my wife comes back. She hates the trumpet by now. She just <laughs> hates it. Well, come on. Right. Yeah. Don't ever ask me. You know, I... Talk to her every day, but I play the trumpet for hours. And I said, she's like, why are you practicing? And I said, because when you get out of shape, you get a call for a job. Right. That's utterly 100% true. Murphy's Law. 
And that day, the track calls and said, we want you to come back. I said, what? We're going to have racing. You're going to have to wear a mask. Um, but you will not be near anybody anyway. You have to go from your room up to the track and go back to your room. There was one person in the stands. One. <laughs> a security guard. And he would clap every race. And I'd look up and say, thank you. Thank you. And so I was considered the essential worker. And here we go. And I tried to play the call to the post that day. I was like, oh, man, I had to get to practicing. Because you have to triple, sure. triple tongue. And I, mine was so sloppy <laughs> at that point. So I practiced for a couple of days. And it came out, of course. Um, but they considered me an essential worker. They wanted me for the TV. We did the carriage ride every mm-hmm. day. <laughs> and it was Was it kind of weird? Um, yeah, was it weird, ominous, kind of look up in the stands and you just see Daryl, the security guard, and that's it? That's it. And it was like, oh, this looks like a Thursday at Hollywood Park. Yeah. <laughs> that's not nice to say. No, but, it, but, but it's true. You must have looked up and just seen green. Like there was, there was nothing. Nothing. I mean, the parking lot must have been eerie just to pull up. Yep, that's true. I had a good parking space every day. And you don't want one, right? No. Like, you know, or at least you want to be able to pull up alongside somebody. It must have just been really, really spooky. It was. And I'd go back to the paddock and there was nobody in there. And it was just so quiet. And I'd go back to my room and I practiced for a while. And then I thought, uh-oh, here comes the admittance here. I went up and bought a $50 voucher. And I started picking out names and was betting. Right. Because <laughs> it was kind of boring. Right. I mean. You, you can play solitaire so long. And, and you're talking. You're, part of your thing is talking and seeing hi to people. And, this and now it's just back and forth, back and forth. And you're in solitary confinement with you and your trumpet. Yeah, it's still on the wall. A big thing I wrote in chalk. Put on your mask. Because <laughs> I'd walk up there without the mask time after time. And big deal right there's nobody up here and it was it was not fun times but the show had to go on right and then there's the article in the paper call to post pandemic genius writers i was the only musician working in los angeles were you really now here's guys that sound better than me when they open up their spit valve on the trumpet, who are not working. It stopped. And there's great videos. A lot of them did videos to keep themselves in shape. But all these players are out of work, except me. And there there was another article in the paper because this is like really freaky. This guy's working and the whole... Town is shut down. Shut down, right. Yeah, there's not a musician blowing or strumming or anything. They're all at home practicing. And you're doing your 15 seconds and (laughs) trucking back to your little spot. That went on for that whole whole rest of that track season. Wow. And then they started to let the owners in. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank God. I hope somebody has a birthday. Right. But, just make up birthdays. <laughs> just, it's it's just going to be your birthday today. <laughs> yeah. But it was during that time I did a commercial. And there was a COVID person on set. Yeah. 
Nobody was allowed to be within 15 feet of the front of the trumpet because, you know, stuff comes out when you play. Let's face it. That's right. And never got COVID until uh, it was last January or something. (laughs) Oh, of course, I had to get it when nobody else was there. Sure, right, yeah. Yeah, and I missed three weeks. Really? Oh, it just hit me so hard, and I couldn't practice. Coughing and the cough. Well, that's funny. If you think about it, yeah, COVID is a respiratory thing, and your lungs are like the main essential engine for you and what you're doing. So any kind of cold, you know, can shut you down. I have the strongest cough, cough medicine that they make. They don't make anything stronger. And I told my doctor, I said, I can sleep and play the trumpet, but I can't cough and play the trumpet. And I've had times where I've had a cold or a cough. Right. And it's like, am I going to make it through this race? Just breathe easy, easy. Don't cough, don't cough. So, and I've taken a lot of the cough medicine and I'm half dead, but you can still play when you're sleeping. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing. You, you've got to be, you have to have a certain health level when you play. You can't have a, a cold sore, a busted lip from a bar fight or have a respiratory problem because that's part of, you know, who you are when you play. Something that nobody's going to know until now if they're listening to this. I only have one and a half lungs that work. I had a neck surgery, and after the surgery, I told him I can't breathe. And he said, it's just the surgery. Give it a year. You'll be fine. And I kept going, I can't breathe. And finally, after a year, I went back to him. I said, I can't breathe. And he said to me, it's just the surgery. You're going to be fine. I said, heck with this. So I went to a lung doctor, and... I remember he sat down next to me and took my hand and held my hand and said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your phrenic nerve doesn't work and your lung will not fill up with air anymore, your right lung. And when I breathe in today, only the left side fills and you can feel it. And had I gone to a lawyer instead of a doctor, I would have never would have had to work. So I had to do a lot of adjusting. Wow. But there's a famous tuba player that played with one lung and the volume of air a tuba player needs. So I figure I could do it with one and a half. One and a half. Jesus. Yeah, I know. I just had to overcome that, overcome this, overcome that. I'm never lucky. I mean, I just have been very unfortunate. It's just like you take care of yourself, you eat right, you exercise, and then you get sick. (laughs) It's... Just, okay. But when I go back to New Jersey to see my 97-year-old mother, right? it's like, she just says, don't eat anything white. <laughs> don't eat rice. Don't eat pasta. No sugar. Uh, what's the other thing? That, no flour. She's like, she will not eat that stuff. Really? Uh-huh. Well, she's 90, 97? Going to be 98 shortly. So she, she I can't argue with doing. her. Yeah, you can't argue with her. The woman's, the woman's set right. Uh, so funny. So I don't, I still drink Coca-Cola, but. Well, we won't hold that against you. Besides that. You're okay. Okay. So you got this list here in front of you. Here's the list. <laughs> uh, there it is. Watching kids grow up. The first thing is. That's where I met my current wife. At, at, at the, the track. track. I remember seeing her thinking, 
oh, that girl's way out of my league. Oh, well. But I'm a so, trumpet player, but so I'm a she's going to dig me. She's going to think I'm so cool. <laughs> this and red coat, she I'm went, fighting him off. Oh, man, alive. I'm telling you. I said I had women beating on my door at home, and I'd go there and hope it didn't let them out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, some of the great things. Then there's Doc Severinsen. I told you the Merv Griffin. Fay Ray, for the younger people, was in the original King, King Kong. Kong. yeah. I played Happy to Birthday to her, and I have a picture of it with a gorilla mask on. With a gorilla mask on? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I had a gorilla mask. At Hollywood Park, right? Santa Anita. Oh, Santa Anita, okay. She was there for like her 90-something birthday. Yeah, she had to. I mean, God, that movie was, what, late 20s, early 30s? Uh-huh. And I went up with the mask and said, Hi, Faye. Long time no see. And she just looked, and they're all looking at me like, what in God's name is this? Oh, wait a minute. Did you know it was going to be her birthday? Or- oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew okay. in advance. I didn't know if you just part of your, you know, treasure chest in your room is you've got a gorilla mask that you might just want to break out. I had it, though, from Halloween. Okay. I didn't know if it I- to the clown shoes and the red nose. Or- <laughs> I wore it on the carriage. I had the mask, and I put the mouthpiece through the thing, and there's a gorilla or a monkey, whatever I want, it's gorilla. And I'm going down the track with the red suit on. And yeah. Tell me there's a photo. Oh, yeah. I've got okay, a of that. good. And I also have a giant horse head mask that I've used in comedy, which that was the one time it worked. <laughs> I did something in Vegas with a private party with a horse head on. And then <laughs> I'll show it to you. It's a father and son. And I have a hand puppet horse with the red jacket on, the white shirt, the same pin I wear. My wife made it. It's unbelievable. She made a bugler's jacket for this hand puppet horse. And we were a father and son team. And the father was an extremely religious and very, very proper horse. And the son hand puppet was a New York comedian. Foul mouth little pony. Yeah, except I don't curse, but <laughs> it was one of my best acts I ever did. I have to say that'll go down. It was in the private room mm-hmm. at the steakhouse in Caesars. Oh. And <laughs> just gold, just you had a blast. I could never, I should have given, that's another day I should just put it away <laughs> and gave up. There was a guy there from the church of the guy. And his name is Pastor Jim, and we all call him Pastor Jim. And he sees me every year at the same birthday parties I do. And the big horse said, when I retired, they were going to put me out to Pastor Jim. (laughs) Just so ridiculous. I don't know why these things come out, but I think of those things. So Faye Ray, it was great. I did her whole birthday. That must have been fun. That That must have been fun. The Mel Brooks performing in Japan. I've been in three Rose Parades, and I'm about to do my fourth. Wait, 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 wait. What? Wait, oh, wait. Sorry. Rose, wait, Rose Parades, one thing. Mel Brooks in, in Japan? What was that? No, 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 no. Oh, oh. When Mel Brooks tapped me on the shoulder oh, and said, oh, that's oh, funny. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Performing in Japan was pretty darn oh, cool. What was that? Just at a track? Um, yeah, yeah. We have a sister track in Japan. Oh, Wow. Been there twice. What was that like? Oh, I was the tallest person there. Well, of course. It was fantastic. Oh my God. Uh, it's just, 
it was really cool, but they have a system in Japan and the musicians are like, <laughs> they were not respected like I get at the track. Really? Just, you come out and play. You're not allowed to play here. Don't play. It was different rules, different. different culture. Yeah. But it was still fantastic. Oh, yeah. What an experience. Wow. Yeah. Now, my greatest comedy was Down Home with Tim O'Neill. Doug O'Neill started this YouTube thing. That is where I think I did my best comedy ever. And if you get a chance what? to look on YouTube, it's Down Home with Tim O'Neill. Okay. You have to find that on YouTube. All right, people, look it up. Yeah, what'll come out first is the race car driver. <laughs> but you'll find the one with Doug O'Neill. We did seven episodes. That to seven. me is, yeah, that was my best comedy ever, I think. Okay. And... Gosh, all these things down here. I mean, the first, and there's something else too. And I have that on my bulletin board in my room if the dog lets you get back there. <laughs> it was at Los Alamitos and an old man comes up to me and he says, I'm watching you today and I'm watching what you're doing. He says, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to give you something. And he reached in the jacket pocket, not like the, it's just a sport coat you can get in the pockets, not Santa Anita. Mm -hmm. And he puts something in my pocket. He says, it's just amazing what you do. And I'm always like, oh, thank you, thank you so much. I get not embarrassed, but it's, it's a heavy burden. <laughs> Got to be that. And I went down and I wonder what he gave me. And he gave me a dollar. And that was the greatest tip. It wasn't the biggest, but it was the greatest. Right. Because it meant something for him. Wow. Yeah. Did and you know him long or you just said that moment? Never met him. So he'd just been seeing you for days or years and whatever. and Sitting there watching what I was doing that day. Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's a big responsibility. I'm like, I don't know why. Sometimes it's like, I don't. Do you feel the pressure sometimes of the responsibility? Yeah, I want to be good. I don't want to ruin somebody's day. I want to make it nice. Right. Especially if you have somebody say, oh, we're going to Sandy today. I'm going to take this couple with us. Oh, and there's this guy there. He, Jay, he's wonderful. And, and you don't want to be wonderful. And you want to be wonderful. You don't want to be the day they bring that friend and you're off. And you're like, really? This is the stand-up? This is the guy? Yeah, it's I mean, murder. It's murder. I, I heard better in the bathroom, right? You just, that's the whole. Yeah. yeah, and there's a couple people that, not many, that don't get me. Sure. But that's, and, that's okay. That's, that's how people are. And at least they'll smile. <laughs> okay, now there's a good time out. We'll get more water here. <laughs> All right, now that the hounds have let us get back onto the podcast. Yes, that killer umbrella in the backyard was about to attack the house. So thank goodness the dogs alerted me. Tell, tell me about Wiggle Waggle, right? Oh, that's the, a foundation you're, you're, you're a part of. It's the Pasadena Humane Society. And I start the Wiggle Waggle Walk with the same tune I play for the horses. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Nothing special. They don't, they don't get their own little special tune? Well, I'll play how much is that doggy in the window. People are coming by with either UCLA, USC. They'll get their Yeah, fight they'll get song. their little fight song here and there. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Oh, 15 years at least. How'd you get started? They asked me. Okay. And it's dogs. I'll do they, anything. They looked at you and said, you know, you look like a man who likes a good dog. 
Yes. We'll, we'll have him on our board or at least oh. help us out. Oh, no, no. I just play them. <laughs> and I've done their, they had a few dinners and I'll, they'll right. get me out for that. That's fun. And see, there's certain things, you know, the good friend of mine who told me to write a book. <laughs> it's always a friend that tells you to write a book. <laughs> he's written four, so it's okay. Okay. Well, at least he's, you know, okay. knows what he's getting into. Yes. And he's an actor and a magician and very funny guy. But he said, there's one thing about when you volunteer for something, there's always a guarantee. Somebody else will ask you to volunteer for something else. <laughs> but he goes to the children's hospital and does magic. A good guy. Oh, that's special. Yeah. Going to children's hospitals, that's tough. I'd rather go to a pound all day. But children's hospitals, oh, oh my God, that breaks your heart. That's tough. It's not fair. Yeah, it's not. And the people that work there, though, straight to heaven. Those people are saints. Being a doctor or a nurse... Even being a janitorial staff, working at a children's hospital, you're, you've got a special place. Oh. That's got to be, oh, man. We do, you and I do not work compared to that. Like, right. But you know what's nice? They do have success stories. They do, yes. But, but just knowing you have to, like, you're, you're dealing with kids that are hurt, that's hard. Yeah. This <laughs> is where there's good people in the world. My son-in-law... They knew somebody that had, the child had cancer, and the mother wanted to go every day to Children's Hospital to be with the kid. But she had car problems, and her car kept breaking down. They didn't have the money. He bought her a car. There's still good people left in the world like this. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good people right there. And they also own a house on the beach in Kauai, so <laughs> I uh, try to stay very good friends with them there. Now, that's you... Teresa's Feeding Grain Pet Store <laughs> located in Simi Valley. Yeah, there's four of them now. Okay. Drop on by. Please. Are you going to write a book? I'm working on it. AJ told me. That's my friend who is just an amazing A-Y-E, J-A-Y-E. We've become friends, and he's written four books. And he said, you got to write a book. And I thought, what would I call it? Oh, this is easy. Blowing it all at the track. Somebody might think they're going to see a book on betting. Here it is. And there's like pages scattered around here and there. And I have, but just, it's so hard to write when you're trying to practice. How long did you, how long have you started that? Idea? 10 years. Okay. So you're, you're, you're getting warmed up. You're getting ready. To... I think I have three chapters done. <laughs> so I just have to write this stuff down and you don't want to forget it. Yeah, you got to. But now, there's something else I haven't mentioned. I'm looking at this list, and I see funerals here. <laughs> okay, so who was the first person to approach you about funerals? Oh, I can even tell you that. The head of the studios. Okay, we got to pause. Koch. I played for Howard Koch. Now, you want to talk Howard about... Howard Koch? Yes. And I looked out in the front row, and every chair had names on it. And they were all the biggest movie stars in Hollywood. I played for his funeral. What was the connection? Who reached out to you and said, hey? He, they were in the horse. And his son now has a stable, Billy Koch. Yeah. That's grandson. And they just loved horses. What was that like playing your first funeral? Like, that's an odd request. But what was that like? Scared to death. Yeah. Death. No yeah. pun intended. No pun sorry. Intended. Sorry. <laughs> I got that sound effect in here somewhere. But I, I was really nervous about it. 
And especially when I just saw every Hollywood person there. And I went out and played one of the best calls to the post ever. That's all you played? Just that? That's it. Huh. So then what happened, I got a call for another one. Then I figured out I can play Amazing Grace into the call to the post. No. Yeah. So I thought that'd be a really good way to do it. And I've done hundreds. Wow. Like Amazing Grace always gets me at a funeral, especially when I think it's bagpipes. Like I'm water, just tears. But to get that into call the post, wow, that must have been tricky to just kind of even. Perfect transition. Perfect. Wow. And one time I got a call and a woman asked me if I could do the funeral. And I said, yeah, how much you charge? And I told her and she says, well, that's a lot of money. Could you do it for less? And I said, you know what? There's no charge. I'll do it for free and never charge for a funeral after that time. I've gone out to complete strangers, people that love the racetrack, and I'll play the funeral. Wow. And sometimes it's a heck of a lot more than I would ever ask for. And sometimes it's just a thank you, and I don't care. It's either way. Right. Is, is it gotten easier to play it as you've done more and gotten older, or has it gotten harder? No, it's easier because my doctor and I figured out if you take a little bit of Valium <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of Indorol, that'll just, you'll be able to do anything. That's what I do. I have never done a funeral after that one without just taking something. Wow. So I don't, and I don't drink. Maybe I could try that. Right. But, um, Are there other, what I else just have take you done? It. You've done you weddings? About it. Weddings. And I've actually not just, I've done oh, over a hundred weddings by now. But That's so great. Now I started marrying the people. I'm ordained by what? the state of California. Now, what got you to, to, to think about that? I don't know. It just came to COVID? Me. Were you sitting around too long? Oh, no, no, no. It was way before that. And um, it's not easy getting ordained. It took uh, me three tries. Yeah. The, is there a test, like a Scantron? No, just my first two credit cards didn't work. Oh. <laughs> just try it. I don't know. It's overdrawn or something. But <laughs> the third one finally worked. Yeah. And I talked to the guy. He sent me a card, which is funny, ordained bugler. <laughs> he just thought this was hilarious, what I was doing. And I am just did another wedding. It's comedy to a point, but it still respects... Mm -hmm. You know, marriage. The marriage, the process. Yeah, but I do tell a lot of jokes about <laughs> marriage. That's fun. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? Oh, it's everything I do. I f have fun. If not, I'm not doing it. Right. <laughs> I'm finally at that part at my age. If I don't want to do it, if it just sounds so miserable, no, I'm busy that day. Jesus. That's, that is the amazing part of your career is that you start out from teaching to now you're doing weddings, but all the unbelievable stuff in between, like who you are, and it, and it shows when, when, you're, when you're walking around the grandstands and the track, it's such, a, it's such a window into who you are. You're such a special person. I hope San Anito understands like what they have. Yes, they do. They've been Good. extremely kind to me. Um, the last contract, I just, they didn't even, it's union. It's a right. union job. Sure. And I said, just ask for this. And they gave it to me. I was like, oops. <laughs> ah, darn, how'd they do that? <laughs> so quickly. Yeah, because, I mean. You're, they're just not arguing with anything. 
I told him I need a new hat. That's a lot of money. And I said, I hope to be here a couple more years. But they're just like, just go get it. It's six hundred dollars for my hats. And they were just, yeah, go ahead. What is that? What does an outfit last you? How long? I can get probably five to eight years out of a jacket. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But now, of course, remember, I wear it three days a week, six months a year. Right. Back in the old days, it wouldn't because it was five days a week, ten months a year. Right. And um, I take care of the stuff like it's mine. Sure. I don't, I just never want to look bad. Yeah, you don't throw it around. How often do you keep things clean? Do you take it to a dry cleaner and get it? They do. Okay. But as far as the other clothes, I figured out a long time ago, just go to work dressed. I used to go in and change my clothes. Well, that's like 15 or 20 minutes by the getting dressed process. So now I just do that here. So really? I, everything but the coat? And just... Everything but the coat and the hat. But I just go to work and Man, if don't you, have to get dressed. If you got full dressed and got pulled over for a speeding ticket, that would be a great conversation with the cop. <laughs> I would never be fully dressed, <laughs> but they had a uh, sobriety checkpoint right outside of Los, Los Alamitos. <laughs> We're going to get Los, it. Los, 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 Los. And I got stopped. Like and right it, there on Catella or something? Like yep. That. Yeah, and a guy said, can I see your driver's license? And I said, it's in the back of my car. I said, I am just got out of the racetrack and I'm wearing riding pants. And I don't have my wallet in my back pocket. He says, you've been drinking? I said, no, no, I'm working. And he said, if I asked you, could you show me your, a valid driver's license? I said, I'll get out of the car now and get it for you. No, that's okay, just go. <laughs> but... Actually, I did get stopped another time on Huntington. And I did have my pants and the boots and all that. And right. I got out. I just said, I came from the racetrack. That's all I don't. Yeah. Don't go into it. But I've gone out, we've gone out to dinner straight from the track. And I have that. It doesn't matter. I just walk in. And if they ask me, it's either motorcycle cop <laughs> or I just got, I just went horseback riding. Right, yeah. So I And I just rolled in here to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. But what's in that case? I will never leave my trumpet in the car. Never. Really? No way, right? It's like leaving a child. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I can't lose that. It's not the trumpet, it's the mouthpiece. I can't lose my mouthpiece. Okay, so why? What is so special of the mouse mouthpiece? It's the one that works. It's the one that fits me. It's like a pair of shoes. I've played on it for a very, very long time. I have 70 mouthpieces back there. 70. 70, yeah. Just, and this is the one that just fits my lip perfectly. Is it a certain make, a certain shape? What is it? It's just the size of it. It's just, it just works. Could you buy five of them and have it, or is it just this one? I could buy 70 of them, and they're not right. Really? I keep buying $10,000 in mouthpieces back there, and this is the one. So if you fly, you, you carry that thing on. You go somewhere after work. It comes in the restaurant with you before anything else. Yeah, and if I get somebody pulls a gun, I'll say, listen, take the trumpet, but let me have the mouthpiece. <laughs> yes. 
And if he says no, I say, well, then just shoot me because right. What's I'm the finished. point? I'm finished. I'm sure I could get used to playing on a different mouthpiece. Actually, I did. Last night, I've been trying a different one. And it feels, it's good. It's just, and it's a different kind of mouthpiece. The same brand, same make, but it's a heavy. And I'm kind of thinking, this really works great. Is this something you, you need to get used to with your lips on it? And yeah. Kinda- I've tried to switch mouthpieces. It hasn't worked. But is that as much up in your head, or is it re- you really can feel it on your lip? No, you put on a pair of shoes that are too tight, they're not going to change. Okay. It's something you can't adjust to. So, And I probably could adjust to one or two of the other mouthpieces, like the one I use on the carriage. I never use my main mouthpiece on the carriage, because if there's ever something going to happen, that's where it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Right. If you are on a horse carriage being pulled across the track you don't need to take a dive with it yeah only had one incident on the carriage and the strap i was holding onto broke it and that was before we started thank goodness and i fell back because right (laughs) that's what holds me standing up whoa and i mean if the carriage stops suddenly i come forward but and i just catch my legs on the back of the seat if that strap breaks, takes off, you don't have the strap, you just fall on the seat. So, and people say, have you ever fallen out of the carriage? I always say, no, that'll be on my last day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But jokes. Yeah. Jokes. You look back on your career, and it's not over, but let's just take a, a look back. Does it surprise you where you're at? There's a surprise. And I just wish I knew what I did 30 years ago because I could have done all this stuff sooner. But there was no plan. The only plan was, was how I'm going to retire, which is what I'm doing. I'm, and I mean, Hollywood Park closed the Fairplex, so that was mm-hmm. really easy. It was my choice to leave Los, Los Alamitos. <laughs> Don't ask me. And... Um, I just wanted to stay. And I want to stay until the day before somebody says, remember when he was really good? I don't want that to happen. Right, you don't want that. No, and I'll know. It might be in the middle of the day sometime. (laughs) And I'll just take a deep breath and go, sorry, folks, that's enough. That's all, folks. Yeah. But I don't want to think about it because I'll sit here and cry in front of you because it's who I've become. It's just, it's my life. I love it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things we can, you know, time machine. You could tell 30-year-old Jay, hey, this is what's going to come for the next 30 years. And you're like, no nah way. That's not happening. You're kidding? No way. I'm going off to Tokyo to play a first chair. Yeah. Oh, man, alive. <laughs> what if, if someone said to you right now, hey, could you go to the L.A. Symphony and uh, play with us first chair? What would that be like? couldn't do it no no that's a different level unless they played something really really easy (laughs) no i'm not in that kind of shape well i never was those guys are just there's different levels of trumpet Mm -hmm. players Mm -hmm. you got your soloists then you got the people in the symphonies the recording artists the ones who do the movie backtracks and all that then there's i'd say i'm about the third level somewhere in there you can play I don't play as well as I did 30 years ago right I mean that's just life that's how it is that's it I don't walk as well as I did 30 years ago so did you ever see that movie The Wrecking Crew 
about the oh, studio position. Fantastic. Yeah. And the French horn player that they used to write solos, he used to come out to the track. No way. Yeah, so we used to talk all the time. And his daughter works for one of the trainers. So we talk all the time. But fantastic man. Just sitting there, and I knew who he was. and The talent. Right. Like, oh. I don't think people understood that that happened in record recording. Like, what? The Beach Boys would go in and somebody else would record? Or that's who Sinatra used? Or Elvis? Or Martin? Or whoever? You name them. And you're like, she looks like a grandma. Yeah, and she can play bass guitar better than anybody you've ever seen. You're like, Really? Yeah, she's the one that did all of this, or this trumpet player, this piano player. They were just unbelievable musicians who just went from place to place to place and just jammed all night long. Amazing people. Yeah, that's just that 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 documentary movie to me was completely underrated. Like it should. I don't know why it didn't win something or why it isn't a must see, but it's a real eye opener to what the industry is like. Fantastic. In fact. The daughter is the one that gave it to me. Oh, really? She gave me a copy, yeah. And Have you ever sat in on or just seen any kind of like performances like that on a late night in some jam studio? Or Well, I was on The Tonight Show actually once with Jay Leno. They did a recreation of the wiener dog races from Los Alamitos, <laughs> and I got the job. Wow. So I went out and played the call to the post on The Tonight Show. What was that like? It was Union. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Replay that episode because yes. I'll still get the $475. That was a lot. Sure. I thought I was doing it for free. Yeah. I was. I just thought, I'm going to be on the Tonight Show. Great. And a guy comes in and says, you local 47? I said, yeah. Oh, this will be so easy. I was also a trumpet soloist. Signed out some paperwork and <laughs> check showed up to you. I went, what? <laughs> I'm here. Are you? kidding me this happens <laughs> it's been the i've just been so lucky or blessed yeah i'll figure out which one well jay i i cannot thank you enough for this time this has been an absolute santa claus moment for me to sit down with you and and have this conversation like i said it has been like a walk through my childhood my kids childhood my love affair with my wife you know, taking every family member and everybody I can to the track and knowing that seeing you in the red coat playing your coach horn is like the event to go see. It's like seeing the Matterhorn or the castle at Disneyland. It sticks out like a sore thumb, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. I really appreciate that. And I don't know how I got this lucky, but... Hey, talk to your mom. She might know something. I have to ask her today. I call her every day. <laughs> call her. She gets, Say, Bob, why, why do I so lucky? Well, she always said to me, I had the Midas touch. Really? She said that to me all the time. And I said, yeah, everything I touch turns to mufflers. <laughs> but I, some reason, anything I've tried, it just happens. Yeah. I don't know how. I tried to work in the family business. And after about six months, my father's like, you don't like this. You got to go back to teaching. I said, you're right. 
So we took off on a vacation for five days. We went to Jamaica. <laughs> and I said, when I get back, I'm going to go back and teach again. So I went, got back from the vacation, went to the orchestra rehearsal, which the vacation was planned around the orchestra rehearsal. And I walked in and somebody came up to me and said, are you looking for a teaching job? I said, yeah. Well, the band director just walked out of Audubon High School. I said, no kidding. So I got the interview and got the job. <laughs> I don't know. It just happens. I mean, so many people told me, you know, just get a job and go play the trumpet for fun at night. And I said, I don't want to do that. I want to play the trumpet. And it worked. I don't know how I have been so lucky or blessed. Well, I, I don't know, my friend, but I'm glad you are lucky and blessed because you've touched a lot of lives and made a lot of people happy. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. And I hope I can continue to do it for many more years. You better, damn it. <laughs> oh, but now I got to go practice. Yeah, you're going to practice. You're going to grind. You're going to be the best damn trumpet player on this block. <laughs> I hope so. Wait, uh, let me think. Well, you don't know. There could be some kid down the street right now just killing it. Oh, they both had lessons from yeah. it. And the kid across the street. <laughs> no, no. I gave them all a couple lessons, and they kids got great. If you show somebody how to do it right the first time, oof. Right. They'll take off. Yeah, it's easy street. Yeah. You're the best. I can't thank you enough, Jay. This has been an absolute blessing. Well, thank you so much for thinking that I could be on your podcast. Oh, stop it. You're the best. Damn well, it. I'm the best one in this house. I know and, that. And I know people, this is a podcast, so you really didn't get to see it, but he's actually completely dressed up for this, which was kind of odd. He's got the hat, the boots, and he's been holding the damn trumpet for the whole time, so I just want everybody to know that. Well, but I didn't put the <laughs> shoes on, see? <laughs> yeah. I thought the little bunny slippers was kind of odd, but I guess it's an off day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jay Cohen. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button. And remember, you can become a subscriber to the podcast. You can also follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. And you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.